This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang is gathered. Uh, happy Tuesday. Is it Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Woohoo! It's hump day, folks. You done made it halfway through the week. Congratulations. This is the program where we give you the latest, greatest uh, research information, ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. Today, no exception. We'll be talking about wildfires. California, it's unbelievable. I think 17 deaths or so. Unbelievable. Do you remember? That was that was Puerto Rico. 16 deaths in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Until, until the president got there. Then they... Adjusted that there had been 30-plus deaths. Um, unbelievable uh, uh, disaster really going on in the California with California wildfires. Today we're also going to talk with a woman that moved from California to the Midwest. Ooh. And many in blue states would say, oh, may you rest in peace <laughs> as you've done moved to the Midwest. But um, she's going to teach us that there's actually – it was beautiful. It was kind of a nice – opportunity for her to open her mind, open her experience up. And she thinks uh, there would be a lot of people from the Midwest that might benefit going to the blue states and a lot of people from the blue states moving to the Midwest. Uh, we might be able to see each other differently. How? How what? How would that possibly work? It would just you know, We could just do like apartment swaps. Everybody just switch apartments. Like Airbnb or uh-huh. something? Yeah. There's been a whole movie on this. Really? Through the, the, over the oh, holidays. Oh, the holiday. Yeah. Yeah. You got to try it. Oh, yeah. Don't watch the movie, though. <laughs> yeah, the movie no, actually, we watch it quite a bit because oh. it's bad, but you know, it's but it's a good bad. It's got its it's got its high points. Yeah. So I don't know if I should be worried because my family is in California. My parents are in California, and I called my dad twice yesterday. Uh oh, didn't answer the phone. So I don't know if he's in danger Maybe. or if he just doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah. Whoa. I'm going with the latter. Hmm. Which would be more concerning for you? Oh, the second. Okay. <laughs> or maybe maybe they're just packing up, ready to move to Salt Lake. Oh, they are. Did they, I tell you? Are they? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it that bad in California? <laughs> just getting out. <laughs> Done. They've got to no, get to Utah. They'll leave, they'll leave after the Dodgers win the World Series. Oh, so what, 2040? Wow. <laughs> that was mean. And I like the Dodgers. Why? Because they're blue. Okay. Because Steve Garvey used to play first base. That so, is true. One of the greatest. Nice. One of the best goats at first base ever. What do I know? Hey, a um, lot to cover. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Deadly wildfires that have ravaged north, northern California, killing at least 15 people. The number, as we talked about, we saw this morning, was up to 17. Caught many residents by surprise, sweeping into their neighborhoods after they had gone to bed, leaving them precious few minutes to escape. Some evacuated in the nick of time. Others weren't as lucky. And nearly everyone in the region is grappling with near-apocalyptic devastation. Some homes burned to a crisp. One idyllic community turned into ash-covered ash covered shells. If you've seen the photos of those homes, yes. you can see folks' cars parked in their driveways. They didn't have a chance to get into their cars and drive them away in some cases, said the uh, deputy chief of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. The, uh, this was the, at night. People were asleep, so they were woke up and they ran for their lives. Mm. Fire crews were were desperate 
for the uh, relief of cooler temperatures and weakening winds that came Tuesday. Authorities continue to grapple with containing the 17 firestorms raging simultaneously across the state's wine country, including Napa and Sonoma counties, uh, uh, where fierce winds and months of dry weather helped kindle the flames. They said the uh, temperatures are dropping in the evenings to uh, overnights like 40 degrees. Oh, boy. But the wind isn't stopping. Man, right. So, so it, the it, fires it, keep up. It died down on Tuesday, but it was still. Usually, the the these these fly, these storms will flare up, but they go away quick. They go away quickly because the wind stops. But yeah. it's the Santa Ana winds, and in the north, they they call them Diablo winds. Ooh, devil winds. Ooh, yeah. El Diablo. That is, and the 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 carnage, the devastation is unbelievable. You yeah. can like see the roads, and there are no homes. As one guy. Um, interviewed. There's cars. He was interviewed cars. on the news. His name is Jimi Hendrix, but it's not that Jimi Hendrix. Oh, the other Jimi Hendrix. Um, he said, you go down the streets and it's just one chimney after another. That's all that's left, the brick. Yeah. Oh. Like, seriously, it looks like an atomic bomb went off. Yeah. Just this wiped is in, it up. This is in California. This is in Napa Valley. This is in Sonoma County. Man. In other news, President Trump reportedly told his advisors, including the country's highest-ranking national security leaders, that he wanted something very simple. IQ a- test for everybody. No, that was yesterday. Oh, this sorry. is actually from July. Oh. A tenfold increase in America's nuclear arsenal. This is according to NBC News. <laughs> Trump told the room on July 20th meeting that he also wanted more U.S. troops and military equipment. The request was in response to a PowerPoint slide he was shown during the briefing in which officials pointed out that there had been a steady reduction of nuclear weapons in the U.S. since the 1960s. According to at least three sources in the room, Trump allegedly did not like the downward slope of the slide and wanted the numbers to instead increase dramatically. Trump's advisors, including Secretary of State Tillerson, were surprised by his request and tried to explain why legally and practically that would be a difficult goal to accomplish. Officials have since said that there was no such, uh, there's no such expansion planned. Now, this looks to me like a guy who is new to the whole concept of our military infrastructure. He sees a graphic and <laughs> says, why can't we have more? I want nukes! That's so right? weird, yeah. Now, he's not coming from a place of government where he's been exposed to any sort of numbers in this yeah. way, and it might have been surprising. So this is another story of let's hurry up and call the president dumb. Yeah. Right? Oh, they're, they're saying that. Yeah, that's what the news report and why, why people leak this information. Like, he doesn't have any experience. Like, well, no kidding. Right. The guy sold real estate, basically. Right. And his name. But, and now he's, you know, looking at military hardware and going, can we have more? But I guess that's the question, too, is is it the press's job to not make the president look dumb? I don't understand. The key element out of this, though, this is the two-hour briefing at the Pentagon where at some point Tillerson may have called the president a moron. That's that meeting. So. <laughs> oh, he left that meeting and then maybe no, said, the may same, have said. It's the same meeting. Yeah. He, but, yeah. but Oh, it wasn't in the meeting he said it, though. Wasn't it after nope. the meeting? Yeah, like, Trump had left. Like, what a moron. And then Tillerson's like, something moron. So, uh, how many times have we heard people sitting behind us say that under their breath in a meeting? Yeah. Then? You walk out of a room like, oh, that guy, he's a moron. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm. I must not. Mm. Huh. Maybe it's happening after I leave? Possibly. Okay. Possibly. Oh, I'm glad that guy's gone. But, but again, it's a, seems like they're just sort of trying what they can yeah. to pile on. Well, so the, me- yeah, the, the media might be piling on, absolutely. And he just keeps feeding it. And NBC News, which the president called fake. Oh, yeah. Fake news. Uh, the Utah officer who arrested that nurse yes. last month, he's been fired. So the video everyone saw, it's all been taken care of. He got fired. By the way, in a 17-page letter. Right. 
Take like, 17 pages to tell you you're fired? That's where Donald Trump gets it right. He just does it in one sentence. Right. Or he tweets it. Yeah. Uh, also, the U.S. Uh, World, or, uh, U.S. men's national soccer team failed to qualify for the World Cup in the first time in 30 years. What is the deal? Wow. I thought we were really good. I thought no. we were better. We lost to Trinidad and Tobago. That combined with some wins, I believe, by Honduras and uh, and Panama in separate games dragged the U.S. from the third to fifth place in the Six Nation final round. And so oh, we're, man. we're not there, right? So yeah. the World Cup's going to be in uh, Russia, and we're, we're not going to be there. Um, all these networks are going to show it. A lot of the money that, that supports the World Cup comes from the U.S. Yeah. So people are like, oh, so people are just going to pull out. And it's like... They don't understand. People aren't watching soccer for the U.S. There's some people that are, but a lot of yeah. people are watching soccer because they like soccer. Don't a lot of these <laughs> countries take soccer a lot more seriously than we do, though? Oh, yeah. Like, aren't there refs in other countries where if you make a bad call, you might go to your car after the game and it's on fire? Or not. You might die. Yeah. There's people that have died after a yeah. bad game. As this says, the U.S. team ranked 28th in the world, needed only to tie with the 99th ranked Trinidad team to qualify for the Cup. Holy cow, really? And the goal, if you watch the replay, the goal that Trinidad won the match on, yeah, um, the, they have this goal line technology. It's like a laser type thing to tell the ball, and there's like a chip in the ball, and that's the technology they're using. And all it has to do is like get to a line where the computer says it broke the plane. Uh-huh. So you watch the ball, and on the replay, you're not sure if it crossed the line. But the computer said it did, so it's a Do you U- trust U.S. is the out. Computers. U.S. is out. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. I guess we still have basketball. There you go. And baseball. Oh, That's you can true. watch. You can still watch the World Cup. You just won't have a U.S. team to unite us all know, against yes. the world. Right. It's not going to happen. So who do we hate? And we won't have that Seven Nation Army song playing over and over and over and over as they always do. Yeah. Finally, individuals in the U.S. managed to spend the equivalent of half a day consuming media. According to eMarketer's latest media time spent figures, in total, eMarketer estimates that adults will spend an average of 12 hours and one minute per day with major media. And they have the breakdown of how we do it. 12 hours? And one minute. I mean, it's the one minute that bothers me. Right. It's that one minute. It went too far. It's just not rounded right. It says on digital, we spend five hours, 53 minutes. That's broken down on three hours, 17 minutes on mobile, two hours, three minutes on desktops or laptops, and 33 minutes on other connected devices. Yeah. So TV, three hours, 58 minutes. Radio, one hour, 26 minutes. Print, 24 Mm. minutes. (laughs) Who uses print? (laughs) Uh, then it says other 21 minutes. Other is the defibrillator. There you go. And then it says people have become more efficient at multitasking thanks largely to mobile devices. Uh, according to the study, multitasking via mobile is primarily responsible for the overall increase in time spent with media. Oh, wow. Right. So even though we still have the same amount of time every day, we keep increasing our time with media because we're doing it with the TV on and the laptop in hand or your phone or whatever. So you're multitasking, which gives you more time on media. Which means maybe we're – I guess we're not spending that time. We used to just spend it watching TV, I guess. I have a TV screen on the back of my toothbrush head. Wow. So I'm brushing my teeth. Oh, neat. And yeah, I can even watch it through the mirror. That's efficient right there. Yeah. That's efficient time spent. It's a little small, but... I mean, it's like you know, two minutes, How long still. do you brush your teeth? <laughs> You're supposed to do it two minutes it twice a day. It doesn't well, even it seem worth it. it depends on what's on TV. And what if you're flossing? Yeah, but couldn't, couldn't you just look at your phone? If it's like a good episode of Seinfeld, I might be brushing my teeth for 20 minutes. Oh. Mm. 
That's why you have no enamel. <laughs> That's why you're enamelless. Hey, um, a lot going on. Uh, Harvey Weinstein's in trouble. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He's the, new, he's the new Roger Ailes. Speaking of piling on. Yeah. It's like no one said a word. All of a sudden somebody said something and then the, the you know, the gates are open. But so he's accused of uh now rape, but mm-hmm, sexual mm-hmm. abuse, sexual uh um advancements uh, to employees. The actresses are coming out of the woodwork. Man. Lost his job and his wife in about a twenty four hour period. Well, he lost his job, his wife, and Obama and Clinton came out against him, didn't they? Right. I mean he's he's pretty much lost everyone. Yes. And now it's, I mean, Roger Ailes has had this, uh, Bill Cosby. It's a big deal. This is Holly. This is this is something I guess that's been going on it, in Hollywood. It's a long interesting time. how how slow people have been on in some areas to address it. Yeah, when they have a platform to do so, some news networks didn't really jump on the story until a couple of days later. It seemed, and it just seemed kind of like there's different interests involved, and so they didn't want to. I guess, accuse or report on something before it was more substantiated, yeah. other than just the New York Times did a expose on it. Didn't Ashley Judd met, bring this up a while ago, though? Yeah. Okay. But but she was crazy, Ashley. Yeah, she's crazy. Until the New York Times talked to her again, and then they put her account with several others. And mm. But when you go. hear all of these big mega media personalities taking advantage of women this is it seems yeah. like this is something that should be a bigger deal that we should all be talking about how do we make sure this doesn't happen anymore figure that one out terry more transformer movies the, think, the real stars there are the transformers i think we're safe there well yeah until you're being abused by a transformer oh, well then it's a whole other ball game and by the way nfl now the now they're all like we okay, we got to do something about the kneeling thing. Are the owners? I guess the owners have been meeting. Roger Goodell's like, okay, this has we got to do something. Well, but they didn't ban it. Not yet. Well, they're not going to stop. The problem is they'll continue to kneel. The president apparently is going to continue to do what he's doing, yeah. and it's just going to turn into a. It's not going to have a sort resolution here. Well, so unless the, unless the owners all start doing what Jerry John or well, Jerry that's what I'm Jones saying. The, the owners are looking at it like we got to fix this because if it just continues to happen, it will it will start affecting the the, the viewership because people just get tired of every time this has to be something we talk about. So hasn't it already? It. Not necessarily. Well, it's enough that they're now talking about but it, but they're worried about it because yeah, you know, they got to solve money. it now. I, I think there are probably people out there that are sympathetic with them, but I think some of those same people are thinking. This is my entertainment. I don't want to have to turn on my football game and get a political sermon, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, who does? Well, there is a question. Um, initially, it was Mnuchin, the uh, Secretary of the Treasury, that brought it up. And I th- I, my first thought was like, man, you just don't understand what's happening. But he had a point. Like in our, in our place here, right? If you have a personal view yeah. that's like a, a protest you want to have and you try to do it on the air – that's probably not going to sit well with management. It's not the no. place to do this it. This isn't the place. It's not my role. Those guys in the NFL are in their workplace, and they're choosing to hold a protest. Yeah. And they actually have rules on the books. They're just not being enforced about what you should be doing during the national anthem. But then the minute you start enforcing it, you look like you're, you're stopping someone's freedom of speech. Right. But, but, but really, it's the a contract of, deal. Like, yeah, yeah. If, if you sell oil of Olay for me, 
you shouldn't during the commercials go off on a political rant, right? Unless that's what Oil of Olay wants, and that's so. Or I it, fire you. You get this owner. You get you know the management employee sort yeah. of relationship, and where do you where do you truly have? The right to demonstrate the freedom of speech. Now, freedom yeah. of speech in the Constitution is the government's not going to stop you from doing what you Yeah, the government's not stopping this them. Is, but this it's is, their boss. Know, this is your boss. So but I, you, you can feel free to walk away. Right. Walk away from the million-dollar contract. Like the NBA has rules. You must stand during the national anthem. But they all link arms. Nobody cares. Yeah. I'm with you. That's cool. Do, That's... It, on, do it on your own time. Well, there's other ways they can do it without the way they're doing it. Sure. But then and I you, think that's something that's the NFL it. will find a compromise. Yeah. They'll probably end up linking arms like everyone else is, and they'll be fine. And again, the NFL could very strongly, I would say, impact the, the, nat, the whole discussion about black rights, black abuse from police officers. They've got more power than anyone. Cops love the NFL, and yeah. African Americans that are being abused love the NFL. People love the NFL, so they could actually go in and— facilitate and pay and educate and start solving helping to solve problems. they need to be sensitive to that yeah because uh, it's part of america also so they need to make sure they're they're there but i mean there's a way they can do yeah. this without you then, know yeah everybody sure. can stand link arms lighting this fire every week would right. it be appropriate if you walked around with a clipboard trying to get people to support your cause whether it's same-sex marriage or abortion rights would that be appropriate sure if during work oh no not during work. yeah like if they want to, they can they can do whatever they want, right? On their own Twitter feed, on their own time, on their own thing, right? I don't know. Now that that, that comes to the question now, people are stepping into employees' well, yeah. Twitter feeds. Like, wait a second, you represent us. But you're I guess like, well, that's part of the deal. Is if you're signing a contract with a franchise, you've got to, and they have what do they call it? Like the character clause, mm-hmm. where you've got to be an upstanding citizen. Which is why, if you get arrested for X Y Z, we're not going to support you. You'll lose your contract. Right. You'll go to jail, and then when you're done, you can come out, and then we'll pay for you to do it again. Isn't that great? Wouldn't it be interesting if we were fined like professional athletes instead of just fired? Oh, no. We're going to fine you $10,000 for that <laughs> comment that you made. 20 push-ups. You owe us 20 push-ups. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. Well, you know, it's going to continue, right, until they do something. And the neat thing is it's it, – what is it now? Monday nights, Thursday nights? Sa- Sunday nights, mm-hmm. Sunday day. It's kind of nonstop. That may be their other problem. There's too much football. You got to yeah. make people anticipate and not just give them so much that they just go, eh. It's... And then the other problem is they don't necessarily have all the games to oh, yeah. meet a, a primetime standard of entertainment. You just have like, <sighs> when you roll the Browns and the Ravens out, you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. I didn't want to watch that when it was just buried on a Sunday. What, what is a Brown? It's a dog. Oh, is it? It's I believe a, so. It's flavor. It, I, think, I thought it was just a color. I think it might be a color. Like their mascot, though, is like a bulldog. So. But it's almost like it's when it came to like when it came to naming a team, they got lazy there. Hmm. They're like out of names. Like, let's do Vikings. That's already taken. Let's do Ravens. And they got it. Somebody got it. Well, what should we do? I don't know. What about colors? <laughs> let's do Reds. That's Cincinnati. Haven't you ever asked your kids what's your favorite flavor? Brown. <laughs> yeah, that's when we that's when we took him to therapy. Right then we're like, oh boy, we got to get some help for that kid. Browns, there's got to be a, there's got to be a story behind that. We better look into that, Jeff. Look into the Browns naming of the Browns team. Maybe that's a section of 
Cleveland? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Up next, we're going to be talking about uh, the impact of moving from a blue state to a red state. What good could come of that? Interesting, interesting story up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. BYU Radio. Talk about good. This is John mowing the lawn back and forth, back and forth. This is Mary sitting in rush hour traffic and sitting. And this is Fred. Fred's typing on his computer for a very long time. If your theater of life needs an upgrade, head to the Utah Shakespeare Festival. All nine dynamic plays of it, right next to Utah's famous national parks. The Tony Award-winning Utah Shakespeare Festival. It's the greater escape, and you know you need one. Visit bar.org for tickets. You know, many times when you're when you're choosing where to live, you choose to live around people who uh, who have the same ideals as you that maybe reflect more of who you are. But what happens when your job situation changes and it takes you to a completely new area with a completely new uh, world? Uh, that is what happened to a freelance writer and her family. Um, she went to Leah Singer, went to from Blue State, California, to the middle of Red America. And uh, here with us today is Leah Singer. She's going to share with us about her experience and how the experience changed her life for the better and really how everybody could afford to do a little uh, move from blue to red states or red to blue states. And if we did that, we all might be a little uh, more united. Leah Singer, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. This is such an interesting topic to me. Uh, I live, you know, I'm deeply entrenched in a red state. Sure. And yet I and we hear about it. We hear about how could people vote for Trump. But there really is a big there's a big difference between certain states, blue state, maybe dynamics and red state dynamics. Talk about your move. And uh, you went, I guess, from San Diego to in, to Indiana. Yes, that's true. We moved. um my husband uh, got a great job opportunity at a university here in Indiana, in Terre Haute, Indiana. So we, after being pretty much lifelong San Diego Californians, moved um, to Indiana about a year and a half ago. So um, as I, I talk a little bit about the article, I always, you know, I was raised in San Diego, always kind of felt like I was among my um, politically-minded peers, I guess that's yeah. the way of saying it. So... Um, Coming here was, you know, everyone, I had a lot of people ask, how, how could you go to a red state or, you know, is it, you know. <laughs> Traitor. <laughs> yeah, I know. What are you doing or whatever? Um, and I used to think the same thing. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'd never leave California or whatever. But coming here has been an eye-opening experience for me personally. Um, it's been uh, wonderful for just our family and my daughter, too. I'm so proud to be able to raise her in a completely different, you know, geographic and culture and all that good stuff, too. Did you notice that you, I mean, I guess our assumption is that you have to leave your political identity um, in California because there's obviously no Democrats in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> a, the, the assumption, too. Everyone's like, you're going to be the only Democrat there or whatever. And, I'm, <laughs> you know, come here and going, um, I don't think that's exactly true. There's, yeah. there's lots of good people on both sides of the aisle and same with same with san diego too i i'm sure a, a more conservative would feel that the same way living oh, there but um totally you know 
you brought up a good point um, when you mentioned, you know, the election of President Trump, and that's that's one thing that I've I've talked a lot about. Um, you know, everyone in this country was surprised by the win, whether you supported him or not. It was a a surprising thing, and everyone was trying to analyze how that happened. Um, being here among people who voted for him, being friends with people who voted for President Trump, I, I understand it. I, I get it, and it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't think I would have had that same perspective in San Diego. Mm. And I bet it. I mean, I, I guess that's our problem, right? We live in these. We yeah. live kind of in these little incubators of our own. Uh, political bubble and we don't by never cross pollinating by never interacting with each other i guess at some point we never could really truly understand each other exactly and that that's something that that i found and it's been you know been very evident to me moving from from blue to red i'm sure like i said people could say the same thing going from from red to blue or whatever but i you know we've all seen somewhat how this nation is so divided and there's so much hate and you know, the Internet, social media and everything fuels all that. And I think really just stepping out of our zones, getting to know our neighbor and talking to people, we could all do a lot better. Oh, yeah. Talk about um, like diversity and because there is a difference um, in in some of the red states in the Midwest, uh, in the Mountain West as well. Not as many minorities, but like you found in um, in Indianapolis or in Terry Haute, uh, Terry Haute, you you noticed that there really is a pretty amazing uh, story that that still echoes uh, strength of diversity. Yeah, I think that, and that was, again, another assumption. People thought, you know, there, there wouldn't be any, you know, African-American, Asian, um, you know, all these different groups like that. It's People have an assumption that it's, you know, predominantly white America. And, yes, that that is, you're going to see more of that than maybe a big city like San Diego or Los Angeles or something. But it's not, it's not you know, void of diversity. There are great stories and amazing people here that of different religions, you know, races, cultures that are doing amazing things. They are here. I, you know, I talk a little about this in the article. You know, people assume the Midwest is, you know, um, is is full of racism. Indiana was a free state and had stops on the Underground Railroad. There are people here who are, you know, still extreme advocates of, you know, different mm. points of views yeah. and all that. I've interviewed successful entrepreneurs that are, you know, African-American or, or, you know, Middle Eastern, all these different perspectives. So I think it's easy to assume one thing, but when you start looking around, you realize there's a lot more diversity um, in in lots of different ways. Did, did you notice with your family that you ended up, you because you were looking hard, you had to look maybe harder for it, it also maybe made you appreciate the differences more. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. Um, you know, because it's not as evident, um, it, I, I did look for it more and and found you know great people. And I think that's, I think it's a great, I think I'm a better person because of it because I'm able to, you know, learn more about people. It's not just you know seeing somebody or seeing people around the street say, oh, there's you know, it's a, you know. Uh, rainbow of diversity, if you will, or, uh, you know, all this yeah. different stuff. But I've been able to get to know people, like, you know them beyond their race, religion, what have you. Um, I think it's been great for my daughter, too, because she's um, been able to meet uh, people that she wouldn't have normally met in San Diego or gotten to know as well. And then the other interesting part of, I think, the diversity that we see here um, 
is economic diversity. I talk about this a little bit in the article I wrote. Um, there's people living in, in poverty here that, you know, my daughter or I wouldn't have met in San Diego. And I think that's a good thing for us all to be learn about each other, whether it's race, religion, economic status, and whatnot. I mean, I guess that's, when you think about it, uh, San Diego County is a very affluent, wealthy county, but it's also, I mean, there's diversity in the county. There's diversity in every county, but it seems like a lot of us tend to just hang with the people we live by or we hang with the people that go to work with us. So one of your lessons, it seems like, is we really need to learn to be comfortable out of our bubble. Exactly. And that's, you know... That's definitely kind of my big takeaway, and I think it's something that everyone can can learn from. I certainly did, <clears throat> stepping out of my bubble, and I think others should could do the same. I mean, there's certainly folks in, in red states or whatever that would learn a lot going to California or the East Coast and, and vice versa. But I, I don't think that we can really understand each other unless we get out of our, our bubble, and I didn't realize how much of a bubble I was living in uh, until I stepped out of it, essentially. In fact, you can see... With the election and of uh, President Trump, it did finally shine some light on a pers- a group of Americans that felt disenfranchised, uh, yes. and um, so to me, there's so much benefit to that. Uh, just like just as President Obama was able to shine a light on other people, other groups that have been disenfranchised, it, it's almost sad that we need like a like a like a political revolution in this country to get us all to understand the disenfranchised. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And as I was saying, that's something I don't think I would, I, I mean, I still see uh, friends and folks I know in, in San Diego still, you know, contemplating why, how did, you know, how did this happen or why is President Trump president? But I, like I said before, I, I, I understand it here, being here among the people who were di- felt disenfranchised, you know. And I don't think you have to, you know, say, okay, well, I, I agree with that, or then I'll change my vote this way or that way. But the understanding is key. Mm. It's knowing, you know, why, you know, why people feel disenfranchised. You know, there's a whole um, li- life, if you will, here in the Midwest, where, you know, people are losing jobs. There is a very a fear of... of Losing jobs and things being different that you don't see on the, the on the West Coast or even parts of the East Coast. As Absolutely, well. like you might see on the East Coast or West Coast, a lot of inner city issues. But yes. in the Midwest, you also see farmers that ha- are struggling to make a living anymore, and education in certain Absolutely. you know uh, rural areas. What what are your what's your advice for those that are looking to move or um, but have never really thought they could go to the Midwest or from the Midwest that would move to the coast, what advice would you give as they're preparing to, to move to a new place? That's, that's a great question. You know, I, I think I would do what, I guess what I did, you know, I just started reading about my, where my new place would be. I got online. I, you know, looked for, you know, I have, I have a family. I have a, a 10-year-old daughter. I looked at what's available for, for kids, looked at schools, looked at those things that are important to me. Um, to see what's out there, um, and read, I you know, put a Google alert on Terre Haute. I looked up Terre Haute news, um, just started you know researching different areas and, and what I wanted to do. And I think it's fine to to find areas where there's you might have more in common than with others. But you know, stepping out and going to a whole different state, I might 
you know, um, find cities or areas or tell people to find things that they can get behind or that they feel comfortable in, but don't feel that, um, you know, that's just another city away in the same state. Like, try to look at what you want or what your values are and find that in a different different part of the country, Yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. what's it like for your husband? Um, is, was it a di- – because he went to a university, I guess, to, is to be on faculty? He's an uh, administrator. He helps students get jobs. Oh, um, interesting. So he's in the career services field. So does does he see it different, like going from a blue state university or organization to a red state organization? Yeah, I think what, and that's what, actually one of the things that really attracted him to the position here. He was uh, at UC San Diego, which is a, a fairly large uh, public university in San Diego, um, very much geared toward research and innovation um, technology, and then coming here to um, Indiana State, also a state university. But um, you have more of the students who are, this is probably their, uh, if they didn't go to, they're either not going to the college or they're going to this university. So I think what attracted him was being able to help students get jobs that might not otherwise Mm. um, find work afterwards. You know, at the university we were at before, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that these students will will find employment. They will, um, they're going to find work no matter what. Yeah, they're going to thrive, yeah. Exactly. So coming here, it's kind of, you know, really helping those students who need the most help and being able to make more of an impact. Yeah. Do you sense that you're going to stay there, Leah, or do you, do you see another move down the road? You know, I, we don't know. It's, um, honestly, I can't see going back to California at this point. Um, well, too economically, really, right? I mean, it's, yeah, economically, it's, a, it's an entirely different world. It is. It's, it's, I mean, the cost of living in San Diego is, and California, most, a lot of parts of California is, is pretty steep, and... Um, for us, it's not worth the you know taking that on uh, and also dealing with the the crowds and yeah. the and the fires by the way. And yeah. I know that's it's so tragic, so devastating. It's yeah, it's really sad. Um, so I don't I don't see going back there. I don't. We we love Indiana. We like being here. But I wouldn't. What this also has taught me is never to rule out you know moving again. I certainly yeah. am not looking forward to. Packing up boxes again, but you, you know, you never know what'll what'll happen. That's it. Well, Leah, we appreciate you. Leah R. Singer is her name, and if you go to her website, uh, LeahRSinger dot com, you can see all of her latest published articles, uh, including the one we're talking about: what this California woman learned moving to a red state. She also does a lot of other writing that you can see in USA Today, Indianapolis Star, Huffington Post, uh, the Good Men Project, Today Parenting. Great insight for all of us, really, right? To to be healthy, we, we might need to get out of some of our bubbles and, and push ourselves a little bit more to understand other cities, other communities. Well, that's why we're here, to help you uh, see things a little differently. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, what an interesting idea that uh, you're going to leave California, the bastion of not just beaches and, you know, know, hard bodies, surfers, 
and a nice tan, but also you're going to leave the blue state, the headquarters of liberal values or whatever, and go to a red state? Can you imagine going to Utah or Indianapolis, the city, and all of a sudden you got to like basketball and Republic and Mike Pence? Come on. But uh, that what uh, we just learned from Leah Singer is it actually it edified her. It made her better. And she realized that she can still have her views. And in a weird way, they actually have more power in another state than they do in California. You know, to be to be a Democrat in Indianapolis uh, or to be a Democrat in Utah or any other Midwestern or uh, Mountain West state may actually have more power than it would in any other state. So if we could just open up, as Leah was telling us, our minds a little bit more to learn how to, to you know, intermingle, to let more people into the, our circle, how powerful would that be? And by the way, how powerful for everyone else around you to have neighbors that they associate with that see things differently, that we are just so entrenched in our in our little group. So I wanted to give you some, some coaching tips um, on what I call lessons to learn um, when when you're de- and, and to use when you're dealing and interacting with some of the most difficult people in your life, um, every one of us comes across somebody. Uh, I see a lot of them when I'm coaching them in my office. That you know, it's a lot of minor marriages. They just really cannot deal with their partner, or you know, the lady down the street, or their mother-in-law, or their father-in-law. So here are a few rules I think for all of us to to better get along. Rule number one: Let go of your childlike behaviors. <laughs> There comes a point where if you want to be effective with somebody that's immature, you can't stoop to being immature. You have to stay above the fray. And if you do, guess what? It gives you more power. It gives you more moral authority if you don't slink down into the childlike behaviors. Name-calling is – that's why there's like a point where when, when we're in this weird battle over who said what and who's doing what, sometimes it's better to just be quiet and then if if you want to resign, leave, end it, divorce, do whatever. But don't stoop to being childlike. It's uh, it's a battle of, uh, of the children on the playground um, and the bully makes you become a bullier. We don't want to do that. So we tend to believe that we as adults would naturally let go of these least effective scripts that we live. But a lot of us still believe that, you know, it's, it's got to be fair. It's got to be fair. So and some of us want justice so bad that we will will stoop to a really childlike approach to gathering and gaining and and getting our justice. So whatever you do, don't become broken because the person you're dealing with is broken. Don't stoop to their level. Another rule is get curious, not defensive about the differences. Uh, As we just learned from Leah Singer, moving from a blue state to a red state Instead of going to the blue, the next state and starting out in a defensive posture, go get curious. It sounds like what she did is she started to explore, um, you know, race in Indiana. She realized that, man, that was a pretty powerful. They have a pretty powerful history in Indiana um, of of actually being involved in the underground uh, railroad and the underground groups that were trying to free slaves and get slaves to safer places. So. How powerful would that mean to understand that? I, th- I think if you came to Utah, you might – in researching, you could dig down and find out that Utah was one of the first states to give women the right to vote, which, right? Which sounds like such a – what? I thought Mormons oppressed the women. 
But at some point, uh, they were one of the first. They also organized one of the the first and still largest uh, women's organizations called the Relief Society. Again, history exists in a lot of these places that none of us know anything about. And so when we get to our new area, we could, instead of immediately getting defensive, we could understand. Also, we probably ought to make sure that we remember that we're dealing with individuals, not just groups of people, right? We, when you go to a state that's a red state, you're dealing with still individuals. So one-on-one, you could get really curious as to what your neighbors think and why they think what they think and try to understand their story and allow their story to be there. Another rule that we can use is allow some stories to go untold. Some stories don't need to be brought up. Um, you know, I, I've noticed as a radio talk show host that many times I have guests that I'm interviewing, well, they'll be sharing a story or a principle that I connect with or that I may even have maybe even a better example than they do. And yet what I've noticed, too, is it's better sometimes for me to just bite my lip and not share my story. Sometimes I don't have to one-up someone else's story. Sometimes I don't have to impose my version of the truth on other people. I can actually just allow it to be what it is. And by the way, there are also times stories need to be told. And many times some of us have been too afraid to share our story or it hasn't been safe enough to share the story. So some stories need to be untold and are not told and some need to be told more. And it might behoove all of us as a, as a, cult, as a country to spend more time trying to figure out the difference there. Make it easier for some to tell their story. Make it maybe uh, more valuable for others that just hold back. And don't always have to say everything that's on our mind. Another one we could do is start to uncover the holes um, in our own story, in our own lives, instead of digging holes for others. Some of us feel like we have this need to push other people down to make sure that they're not succeeding because we're going to create the obstacles for them. And I see it all the time in couples that are arguing. You don't have to agree with each other, but you also don't have to disagree (laughs) It doesn't have to even be a point that we have to fight about. Why are we having to beat each other's ideas up? If your idea is so right, wouldn't it stand on its own, right? You don't have to put another person's idea down to make your idea better. Just let the two ideas stand. Um, Another idea, another rule that I use when I'm coaching people is change all that you can to minimize the heat. Sometimes if you can take the heat off of the conversation, um, then – then, you know, life will be better, right? Life can be a lot easier if if we're not, if there's not as much friction. And so if you could sometimes ease the friction, take the, take the, the thing that burns, the thing that bugs the most, and instead, maybe let's deal with that at the very end, but let's go first to everything we can agree on. Let's go first where we do have a unified approach. And then, um, interestingly, I've found once that once you do have you know a history once you kind of have momentum once you have trust with each other and you and i that's easier to gain when we're not focusing on the hardest issues first then let's slowly bring in pieces of the hardest issue and start dealing with those and i've also just found allowing people to share their side of the story um their version of what truth is sometimes eliminate some of the heat as well. Anyway, some basic ideas uh, to help us all deal with the people that are most difficult in our lives, the ones that we we really disagree with the most. And uh, hopefully by doing that, you become better yourself because you're going to learn. You're going to learn. You're going to pick something up, for heaven's sakes. 
And uh, then you can have more power to influence down the road. That's the, that's the goal for all of us. Up next, we'll continue the journey. In fact, we'll even decide or give you some insight and research as to why the Cleveland Browns are called the Browns. You won't, you won't believe what they're named after. back friends you know i ask one question in the first uh you know few minutes of the show and of course our researchers aka jeffrey liam simpson highly trained highly trained researcher uh figured out the answer the the question was you know some 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 franchises have really cool names the rams yeah right um others have names like the browns is it possible they were named after brown M&Ms? No. I don't think so. Is it possible that... Nobody's uh, named after a brown M&M. Is it possible that they were having a meeting and somebody in the meeting was wearing a brown shirt? <laughs> what, should we, what should we call this team? Well, you've got a brown shirt on. Let's call them the Browns. Yeah, maybe. So you've researched it. Why, what were they named after? So Cleveland uh, Browns. The franchise was was originally founded in 1945, right? Or right. was founded in 1945 by two people, Arthur B. McBride, yeah, and the coach of the team, Paul Brown. <gasps> Paul Brown. So they're named after Paul Brown. They could be called the Paul Browns. Yeah. Or they just as easily could have been called the McBrides. Which would have been a bride at McDonald's. Mm, I don't know if that franchise. would have gone over. Seven McBrides for seven McBrowns. <laughs> that's interesting. With seven McMuffins. Mm. Now that sounds like a breakfast. The Browns are named after Paul Brown, Coach Paul Brown. That's it. They're the only team to be named after uh, an original coach like that. Well, it's right. crazy. I guess Green Bay could have been the Lombardies. Was that, mm. that right? Huh. Well, could be worse. What if he had a really weird coach's name? What if the Cowboys were named after a guy with the name of Cowboy? Yeah. John Wayne. No, like his actual name is Cowboy. Oh. That'd be weird. John Cowboy. John, John Q. Cowboy. John Q. Cowboy. Well, we've solved the problem, folks. Browns. Coach Paul Brown. There you have it. Again, the Matt Townsend Show giving you the answers no one else would tell you. Because they may not have been as curious as we are. More ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. Today, we're going to be talking about being awkward. It's okay, folks. It's okay to be awkward. And uh, you're joining three of the most awkward human beings on the face of the earth. Awkward. (laughs) Did you have to say it that way? Um, Today, we're talking about awkwardness and how really there's a science to it. And it's okay. It's why... It's maybe why you're awesome. Is you're okay being a little awkward? Well, I, I'm awesome for other reasons. Ooh. We won't go into it now. It's just too many to list, but go on. 
See, that was awkward right there. See? There we go. Nailed it. So we'll be talking awkward today. Plus, man, we got a lot of empty news we got to get into. Um, Cockroaches. Can you imagine? Thousands of cockroaches flooding a street. Mm. Just probably, you know, they were going down in the, in the, um, what do they call it? In the... Sewer? The sewer lines, and they got blocked by a big fat bird. That's what it was, yeah. And then they're like, we can't get out this way. You're giving away the whole story. Hey, guys, there's oh, a wait. huge fat bird. And then they're like, hey, there's an exit up here. Have you seen the show? It was a long time ago. It was called Joe's Apartment. No. So this guy lived in an apartment. MTV short, right? Yeah. And and like he'd walk in, he'd start talking to this voice, and it ended up he was talking to the cockroaches in his room. <laughs> and he'd have this conversation. They're like, how was the date? Oh, it was all right. You know, so he has this relationship with the cockroaches. So he just, yeah. instead of trying to eradicate the cockroaches, he befriended them. Okay. What do we call that? Awkward? Awkward. Okay. These were like 30-second shorts that MTV thought were so genius that they decided to make a 90-minute movie of it. Well, hold it. Yeah. Well, then it's just a long. It's an MTV long. That's true. And in that, it was awkward because it's a short for a reason. You get to the punchline, you're done. In and out. It's like when Saturday Night Live tries to make a TV or uh, take one of their sketches and make a movie out of it. You're like, okay, the joke was dead like an hour ago. You never know. Yeah. Worked for The Simpsons. Did it? Those started out as little bumpers. Well, uh, the fact that they've been on the air for almost 30 years, I think, is an indicator that it worked. Uh, the Apprentice was on for 10 years. Great ratings, I hear. Yeah. And that worked, too, because now he's president. <laughs> it did work, didn't it? Speaking of awkward, um, we'll get to all of the, I guess, presidential headlines as well. Again, people keep thinking – he's saying – they're, he's just you're bullying me. The media just is bullying. Hmm. They're these stories are all yeah. fake news. And we None saw of this some, is... We saw some, I think five thirty eight dot com did yeah. a, a study and they found like this is the level of negative news towards yeah. Trump versus other presidents. My problem is how do you not react to a lot of the things that he has done and not have it seem negative? Well. I guess part of the key would be, and this is one of the things that Nate Silver brought up on 538, is the media just needs to be – you just can't react. So instead, just state the facts of a story. You don't need to add much more to it, but the facts speak for themselves. Wrong. He also said – but he also said – and then instead, go – or don't even cover certain stories, Mm. like just a Twitter story. Just don't cover it and instead go cover – the political side, like go in and cover what's going on in the in the Department of Education, cover the policies being made, cover the, those discussions. But Nate Silver made a great point or somebody on his committee or team made a point that right. it costs more money to do journalism it than it is to be reactive journalist. But reactive journalist just is being validated by the fact that all this news is always negative about President Trump. And then the other person says, yeah, but he feeds it. By being yeah. negative. He knows how to get a reaction. But he's, he also apparently knows how to be awkward. Well, I And mean, he thrives on it. Like he thrives on awkward. Like yeah. he, did, he was taking a beautiful picture with a bunch of people and then he had to have this weird moment where he's like, maybe this is the silent, the, the quiet calm, before the, the calm storm. before the storm. Yeah. Which, by the way, would be fine except as uh, – what's his name said? Um, what's his name? Night show host. Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel. Colbert, Colbert had the, – who did Colbert replace? Letterman. David Letterman. 
Okay, that's not who I meant. <laughs> anyway, he he had what's his name on his show? The guy that did the, sure. the the night the. I have to go to bed. I get up early. Oh, he's John got, Stewart. John Stewart. He had John go. Stewart on yeah. his show. And John Stewart made a, made a big thing about the fact that you can't say calm before the storm when we actually people that we have people that just went through yes. storms. Yes. Right. And they're digging themselves Puerto out. Puerto Rico is still suffering. You're talking about but storms. As a, you also can't do it after – in the ominous tone, he did it after we just had Vegas. Right. And after we have a nuclear threat on our hands. And when you're standing with the leadership of the military of the United States – yeah. Like somehow you just had a meeting where you war planned something. Yeah. But he's just playing with you. It's fine. But what that might be is that's just he's just socially awkward. Oh, is that what that is? It might just be that. Oh, great. He could plunge us into some horrible international no, but see, that's incident, the negative but he's take. just awkward. But that's the negative take. He won't plunge us. That's what they would argue. He won't yeah, yeah, plunge yeah. us anywhere. Sure. He's just he's just he likes to keep people in a little bit of chaos. You know, right when the kids start standing up walking, he's the guy that'll tip the kid over. Well, that's just fun. What's yeah. what's more awkward to you? <laughs> Let me give you a scenario. Okay. Scenario, awkward scenario number one. So mm-hmm. you've been talking about somebody mm-hmm. that then enters the room and catches the tail end of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you're at a dance and you're having a good time. You're in this dance circle and all of a sudden this guy dance? bursts through and starts doing a magic trick in front of everybody. Oh. Well, I think those are both awkward. Well, which one's more awkward? You're talking about somebody, they walk in the room. Well, that one's more awkward because it was me talking. If some Yahoo jumps into the middle of the dance circle right when I was about to go bust some moves. Or that kid Jimmy that doesn't yeah. use his locker and has every item in his whole possession in his backpack at all times, every <laughs> single day. Are we going back to high school? Yeah, there was a kid that way. <laughs> Jimmy with the bad back? Yeah, he had some back problems. Yeah, he had everything in there. It's gonna, he's going to pay for that one for life. Yeah. He said he didn't think the lockers were secure. Well, right. So he, his stuff was – he wanted to keep it with him. Did he also have um, – did he have tinfoil on his head? No, he didn't go that far. Okay. But I don't know what he did after hours. Now he, now he does. <laughs> I'm going to go with the dance. Really? Because, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about somebody, you can at least attempt to talk your way out of it. But if somebody just randomly starts doing magic tricks, there's nothing you can do to explain that away. There's... Well, no, it's just awkward. Yeah. Like, wow, that's different. But do you feel do you feel more awkward about that, or do you feel more awkward when you're the one trying to talk your way out of something? How about this? Like that really is yeah. a stressor. What, if, what yeah. if you're the one doing the awkward magic trick? Okay, so was that you? <laughs> no. No, that was you, wasn't it? No, it was always some you guy had to get the magic trick that would out. come in – and like do this floating credit card magic trick and everybody's hey, like – Hey, watch this, guys. It wasn't like, wow, how is he doing that? It's like, what is happening right now? <laughs> Where did you get that fishing line? Anyways. Yeah. If it were Jeff, it would be more like, who wants nachos? And you'd be like doing a nacho trick. But nacho. half the people hey, at least – trick. Half the people would at least say, yeah, nachos. Hmm. Nachos are something to cheer about. Yeah, I think people generally in any room, well, there's probably a room it wouldn't work in, but universally nachos are accepted oh, yeah. as, as a, the, good, a good you thing. Can, they're, they're almost the perfect distraction. Right. Like in the middle, like if right when I'm talking about somebody, if that person walked in the room 
and heard what I was talking about, all I would say is, who wants nachos? Mm-hmm. And then you could walk away and go it, get nachos. nacho It can plate. get you out of any situation, yeah. any precarious situation. And you know, if you're here at work and somebody says, oh, we got this meeting at noon, you're going to hear a collective groan, right? <sighs> but then they say, yeah, there's going to be nachos there. <gasps> oh, I'll stop by. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever do that. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not as into nachos, but it is a total game changer. Awkward. You could, I think donuts work the same way. Donuts. Who wants donuts? They don't even have to be good donuts. No. Who wants these dry, stale donuts that I got for a buck? Yeah. I do. Uh, let's get to the headlines uh, with Terry South. Help us understand what's going on around the country, Terry. Cal Fire Director Ken Pilmot said at least 115,000 acres had been burned so far, about two and a half the times the size of Washington, D.C., in wow. Northern California. Firefighters from across California and Nevada and other states in the West are called in as reinforcements. The fires are still out there. They are still actively growing. Napa County Fire Chief said in a news conference, forecasters said that the renewed threats from offshore winds and lower humidity could return Wednesday, hindering the progress. The two largest fires, the Tubbs Fire in Sonoma County and the Atlas Peak Fire in Napa County, towards 27,000 and 25,000 acres respectively and still weren't contained as of Tuesday morning, officials mm. said. More than 2,000 uh, 2, homes and commercial structures were destroyed. A Kmart and a Marriott, I believe it was, or was it a Hilton? A Hilton. It was a hotel. I saw a Hilton. Hilton, yeah. So the Hilton were uh, were torched, oh, I guess. Oh, no. Uh, many in Santa Rosa, a city of more than 167,000 uh, were were hit with these you know destroyed homes. There's the, that's the picture you're just seeing is the city of Santa Rosa. Apparently, all their uh, communications in that town are down. The only thing that's still running is the radio station. But see, then you so wouldn't know like you don't know when to get out, how to no. get out without communication through this radio station. Apparently, that I bet they're selling ads like crazy. Well, I don't know if they're selling much of anything. There's not much left. It sounds like <laughs> Pacific Gas and Electric said late Tuesday afternoon about seventy-five thousand customers remained without power. 50,000 of them in the uh, Santa Rosa area. Sonoma County officials have filed about 240 missing person reports. Oh, no. Uh, the sheriff there told reporters 57 of those have been found as of Tuesday afternoon. Okay. Good. So now they're down to around 200, but still 200. Oh, that is scary. And when they probably can't even get back into certain places Not to yet. even be looking. Not yet. President Donald Trump teased an upcoming executive order on health care Tuesday, potentially setting up a new front in the Obamacare wars that experts worry could destabilize insurance markets. With Congress the way it is, I decided to take it upon myself, Trump said in a meeting with former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, referring to the inability of lawmakers to pass health care reform. So we'll be announcing that soon as far as the signing is concerned, but it's largely worked out. Trump offers few details but other than saying that the order will allow people to cross state lines to purchase health care insurance and that it would take care of a big percentage of people we're talking about who have been dissatisfied with their coverage under the Affordable Care Act. Oh, boy. The power of the pen. He's going to do what he criticized President Obama for doing. Well, that's so far. That's all he's done, right? Yeah, pretty I mean, much. because that's that's where he's got the most movement. He can just sign executive orders, which means the next guy comes in and undoes all the executive orders. I see a cycle beginning. Yeah, nothing's going to actually happen. We're just going to undo the last guy. Mm-hmm. Um, as we talked earlier, standing for the national anthem may be instituted as a mandatory policy in the NFL, according to a. Uh, report from CNBC, per a sp- league spokesperson, team owners will discuss at meetings next week. 
a potential rule change mandating that all players stand during the playing of the national anthem. Late Monday night, Deadspin, a sports website, reported that sometime in the last three years, the NFL already quietly changed its rule concerning player conduct during the anthem in 2014, the league's national anthem policy tucked away in its obscure policy manual for member clubs, stipulated that during the playing of the National Anthem, players on the field should stand at attention, face the flag, hold helmets in their left hand, and refrain from talking. It is unclear what punishments the league owners would consider for players who defy a new mandatory standing rule. Mm. And under the current rules, it's not really clear who would actually enforce the rule. Owners or the league, so yeah. it's not being enforced. The water boy. The water boy. This morning, Trump said on Twitter... It is about time that Roger Goodell of the NFL is finally demanding that all players stand for our great national anthem. Respect our country. The NFL responded, that's not what we said. That's not where we were going. He owes commentary uh, this morning about the commissioner's position on the anthem is not accurate. As we said yesterday, there will be a discussion on these issues at the owners' meetings next week. The NFL is doing the hard work of trying to move from protest to progress, working to bring people together. Oh. Maybe the best way to get everyone to stand would be to send everyone in the NFL to Afghanistan Mm -hmm. for three months and then send everyone from Afghanistan to the inner city communities and see what's going on with black lives in inner cities. There you go. Then after the end, I bet everyone would want to stand. Who knows? We'd have a whole new slew of patriots and problem solvers. Maybe. Just Finally, they're, uh, the Titanic is sitting on the bottom of the ocean. I don't know if you yeah, knew that. Oh, I didn't now. know it had moved. Was uh, it there's move? a, a trip. I, I think we talked about this before, but uh, they're actually going to do it now. They are the Titanic for the. You can visit the Titanic for the price of a first class ticket on the 1912 voyage of the famously unsinkable ship. The London-based travel company offering the May 2018 expedition says the $105,000 price tag is the same, adjusted for inflation, as what passengers paid to be on the ocean liner. And uh, on the only trip it took, obviously, is it ran into an iceberg and then sunk to the bottom of the ocean. So uh, the, they paid $4,350. Okay. That now, can't be for everybody, though, could it? Not sure. They're just mm. saying that the price you pay now adjusted is the same. So uh, so $105,000 is your price tag. So what do you get for $105,000? Great question. So hopefully a safe return. And a pendant. I want a pendant. A pendant? Like, like a, one of those squashed quarters? Yeah, I want I want some I want some t shirt that said I went to the bottom of the ocean. And survived. This could be one of the last chances to see it, as in a twenty sixteen study concluded decomposing bacteria could eat away at the ship completely in the next fifteen to twenty years. It could just be gone. There's nothing to see anymore, right? So to get down there before it's gone. So oh, fewer than two hundred people have actually seen the wreck. So if you yeah. you're an an exclusive club if you actually get to go see this. Boy, think about you at a dinner party. That's Wait, right. Do you just see it on a screen? Because you're not going all the way down. First passengers, called mission specialists, Boy. Uh, will fly to a yacht above the wreck off the coast of Newfoundland, which will be the base of operations for the eight-day expedition. On the yacht, they'll learn the sonar and underwater navigation equipment needed to assist the expedition team in locating the ship's boilers, propellers, and other landmarks. They then will survey the remains of the Titanic itse- itself, dropping more than two miles into the ocean. Wow. On the Ocean Gate sub and enjoy the chance of seeing bioluminescent sea life on the 90-minute descent to the bottom of the ocean to actually sit there in the sub and look at the Titanic. 
Isn't there a documentary I could just watch? Yeah, it's on James probably Cameron? on Netflix. Yeah, it's probably just I could just get it on Netflix. <laughs> but you for could do it yourself. Ten dollars, only one hundred five thousand dollars. <sighs> do I do that or do I buy a Tesla or a house? Yeah, or a house. Well, you could—it's a nice down payment. Get your house payment down to like two dollars a month. But it would be for two, right? You're not going to go alone, so it's actually two hundred ten. I'd probably go alone. You go alone. You well, need... I'm not going to pay two hundred and ten. You're not going to take your wife. I'd just buy her the documentary. I don't know that she'd be as into here. It watch as I this. Am. I'll be right back. You could just get the movie for her. I don't know that she's going to want to go learn how to navigate to so a boiler. W- would you want to see the Titanic or buy a Tesla? Tesla. Really? Teslas are kind of Spartan, if you will, on the inside. Yeah, but again, you can go zero to sixty in like two seconds. Three seconds. Hmm. That's like it, is that its only attractive quality that you like about it? Yeah. Is that worth it? Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, to know you can go faster than everyone. Well, you could buy. There's many cars you could purchase to go faster than everyone. But this is a Tesla. Okay. It's got. I don't know if you've heard. It's got ludicrous speed. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Does it play ludicrous? Probably. <laughs> if you're into that, <laughs> I guess too. Um, they're really saying the wreckage is going to disintegrate. The bacteria in years? on the bottom of the ocean is eating away at the the ship, and so fifteen to twenty years, it could just sort of not be at least recognizable. You'll get down there and you'll see that lump of stuff. That was the Titanic. Not as impressive as not, actually. I don't seeing think a lot ship. of people are going to like be passing by saying, "Oh, is that the Titanic?" <laughs> will the jewel <laughs> necklace will that still be that's intact? I, that's that I pendant know. I was looking for. I don't know, but yeah. the pictures you've seen, mm-hmm. they won't be there anymore. So you want to get there before it's gone. Somebody's wow. taking pictures. That's a lot Just of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Like literally. You, you, yeah. There's yeah. a lot there's of literal pressure. pressure. There's a reason there. you're in the sub and you're not down there swimming around. I don't know that it, that interests me. I mean, there might be other – if you were going to spend $105,000, you could probably, I don't know, spend fifty mm. on helping Puerto Rico. You could. And then go take a vacation with your family for ten. mm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then but if still buy a car. If you're spending one hundred and five thousand dollars, you're not you're not buying ten thousand dollar vacations either. No, you're probably right. Yeah. You'll probably park your yacht. Buy. Or maybe you already donated fifty. You probably went. Eh, here you go. Yeah. Boy, people need a life. Anyway, not to disparage anyone. If you want right. to, and if you want to do it, I. If you want to burn your cash? Go ahead. That's yeah. what you're trying to say. Maybe we ought to send Shik Shumway down there. Ooh. We have Shik Shumway actually standing by. Is he is he today? Yes. Okay. He's in uh he's in Boston. Well, let's um do we want to get to him right now or I'm thinking maybe after our guest. Yeah, we can make him Shik sweat Shum- it out a little more. I mean, it's probably good. And anything Getting... we can do to give Shick more time. Oh yeah. Shick's our reporter uh for Empty News and he just gets on the scene and a lot of times he gets carried away and 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 forgets you know, certain facts. So we'll have Terry call him and, and kind of pump him up to okay. make sure he gets the facts right. And then uh, we'll get to him. But first, let's get to uh, our next guest. We're, we're going to be talking about awkward, right? Being an awkward person. It Maybe it's not as bad as you think it is. Social awkwardness, it might have some advantages. Straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. As humans, we all need to belong, and while modern social life 
can make even the best of us feel gawky at times. For some of us, navigating its challenges is consistently overwhelming. In his new book, Awkward, The Science of Why We're Socially Awkward and Why That's Awesome, psychologist and interpersonal relationship expert Tai Tashiro helps us better understand this widely shared trait and its origin. Uh, Tai, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. There, so awkwardness is uh, it's a trait, huh? And it's it's a it's apparently it has huge advantages. That's true. So uh, the nice thing about awkwardness is that all of us know what it's like to be awkward. We yeah. all certainly had our moments that are pretty memorable. But um, for some people, it is trait-like. So a lot of awkward people that you talk to will say that they've been socially awkward for as long as they can remember. And even though they pick up skills to manage it, and many awkward people do just fine eventually, uh, you know, they still feel that underlying vulnerability to misunderstand um, or engage in behaviors that aren't consistent with what other people expect. Hmm. In fact, define it exactly for us. How do you define awkward in your book, Awkward? Well, there's a psychological way to do it, which would be social skill deficits, uh, difficulties communicating and what we call obsessive interest. So this tendency to get really unusually focused and passionate about whatever it is that you're interested in or whatever it is that you love. Uh, the definition I like to use more generally, it goes to the old Norse root of the word, which is afugur. And afugur means facing a different direction. Hmm. And I like that definition because it explains actually what we know from psychological research, why awkward people miss social cues or social expectations that everybody else sees. But it also says that they're looking at the world a little bit differently, and maybe they're looking at some different things, and that could have a unique upside. It's so true. Interesting. And yet, I mean, socially, it could have a downside, but it seems like in many ways, professionally, some of the, some of the most creative, successful people I know are kind of awkward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know? I was out in Silicon Valley last week, and <laughs> there you <laughs> have it. Examples out there, certainly. And even in things like acting or especially comedy, you find that a lot of folks off the stage are actually quite socially awkward at the core of it. But they found a way within a system of acting or a system of comedy to engage in a way that makes them look very socially adept. Isn't that they, they've they've kind of um, used their gift or their skill or their talent to to hide it, but and does it I guess enhance it as well? So their awkwardness maybe makes them more funny because they do see things um, because they're facing a different direction. Yeah, that's you know, that's a great point, Matt. Because the psychology of humor is really pretty interesting, but one of the core things they find is that. You know, humor arises when a situation doesn't go quite as we expected. And comedians are great at describing these weird little nuances that none of us notice. <laughs> or they talk about situations where they mishandled a social situation and violated social expectations in a way maybe we wouldn't imagine. And that's what makes it funny. Yeah, it's so true. Is um, So did this, did this book, in your mind, Ty, did it come because you sensed you were awkward or... Or was it you studying as a psychologist other people that were awkward? Yeah, it was uh, It was actually a little bit of a backwards trajectory <laughs> to how I figured out or got inspired to write this book. 
it was about, gosh, I guess three or four years ago. And I just had a lot of friends who had moved to new cities or new jobs right around the same time. And as I'd watch them interact in new social situations, I noticed that some of the socially awkward friends were having a really hard time connecting with people. And I thought to myself, if they could just skip the first five minutes (laughs) of these interactions, they would probably be a lot better off. Uh, because they were really interesting people with great character and really bright and people who were great friends. I, I knew this was the case, but they were just so clumsy with those first few moments of social graces that other people kind of passed judgment about whether or not they wanted to continue talking with them or explore, you know, even a friendship. So that's kind of what inspired me to to look into this. And I found out that there was a lot of great social science, but there hadn't been a lot written for a broader public about how people can use this science to understand social awkwardness, whether they're awkward or they love somebody who's awkward and what the upside might be to that. Is, is, is awkwardness and social awkwardness something that we should embrace or something that we should, like, as a, as a person, if I notice I'm socially awkward, should I embrace it as a gift or should I just um, go try to train myself to be less awkward? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and can I you train it? Yeah. Well, the, the answer would be yes. You can improve these social skills or communication skills and uh, figure out how to navigate social situations really quite well. But, um, you know, this goes back to your earlier question, I guess. So I was a aw- really awkward kid. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm still prone to awkwardness in uh, certain moments. But my parents had a great line, and I thought they did a great job with me. And one of the lines they would repeat was, you know, Ty, the key is figuring out how to fit in without losing yourself. And that was the philosophy they had for how they would parent me. And I really appreciate it because it told me on the one hand, hey, there's certain social skills and things you need to work harder on probably than other kids do. And that's just so that you can smoothly interact with folks and not have that be an impediment. Uh, But on the other hand, we realized there's some unique things and quirky things about you. And we would be real, um, real sad if you were to compromise those or sacrifice those in the interest of just fitting in. Mm. So true, huh? It does. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think that's good advice for everybody. great advice. Whether whether they're prone to awkwardness or not. Do do you you feel like there are more people that that, um, think they're awkward than they really are, or people that that are awkward but don't know they are? (laughs) Right. Well, I think it's more the former. Uh, most, Most awkward people know they're awkward on some level. They don't always know it in the moment, but they have a general sense that, uh, you know, I don't quite get as quickly as other people do. But, you know, a lot of people, it's about 55% of people will say they're socially awkward or they feel awkward in modern social life, which is really very interesting. And I think speaks to some of the societal changes that make us feel uncomfortable or make it feel like it's hard to connect. Hmm. I think the real rate of the percent of people who are awkward is more around probably like 15% of the population. Yeah. It seems like, too, to to know that you're awkward, you'd have to be almost sensitive enough, you know, and kind of um, self-aware enough to notice what you're feeling. I, I worry about the awkward person that isn't aware of it. Like, and so is there a level of sensitivity to this that actually maybe makes you more awkward? 
because you're worried more about what others are thinking and and that might induce more anxiety around the thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I think a lot of us have had that feeling where we're not sure how to navigate a social situation and then that uncertainty creates anxiety and then that anxiety makes it harder <laughs> to figure out what's going on or to interact. So that loop can definitely happen. I think anxiety can be helpful though when it's at a moderate level uh, because the function of anxiety is to motivate us to think harder or be concentrate more on something that could go poorly for us. So I think for, you know, like awkward people having a little more social anxiety, as long as it's not debilitating is actually probably kind of functional Yeah. <laughs> because as an awkward person, you do need to think a little bit more ahead of time about, okay, what's the situation and what, what, what are the social expectations and social graces and, let me just make sure I have my head in the right place before I go into that. It's such, it's such an interesting concept, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that you can dissect a topic as narrow as this, but it is so rich. It really does. It's so universal, too. That's why this is such a brilliant undertaking, Ty, because it's so universal. It, it really is. And I think that was one of the surprises I had about writing it is that writing about these small difficulties that people have in those first five minutes of social interactions or (laughs) or more generally, it illuminated for me really, well, what is it that actually matters in our relationships? And what is it that actually gets us that sense of connectedness and that sense of belonging, which is what we really want. And I think there's so much societal pressure to be popular uh, or to be known And I think our metrics for how we evaluate our social value have kind of gone awry over the last couple decades. I think you're right. And I mean, and too, it almost seems like we're picking up these fears, this awkward concern when we're also when we're a teenager, which is kind of the universal age of awkwardness. You know, you're so out of your body, but then that's when you create a lot of your social rules you know, of how popular you are. And that's why I always find it so interesting that, you know, certain people are the most popular because they're the athlete or the cheerleader. And then you get your, to your 30-year reunion and it, it doesn't seem to be that that's what makes you popular anymore. That's, yeah, I know that's, that's so true. And developmental psychologists do these really interesting studies where uh, they'll go into schools and they'll map the social geography, basically, of the school. Yeah. And one of the gems that comes away from that over and over is that popularity and likability are relatively distinct concepts. Uh, there are some kids who are popular who are likable as well, but you know the, the roots of being likable are different than the roots of being popular a lot of times. And you know, I always say you want to be likable. That's the more sustainable outcome. And that, I think that's obvious to people when they hear it, but I think it's easy to forget in modern society. Mm. That's actually that's really good advice too. Focus on likable versus popular, uh, especially in our social media world too, where like you know oh, yeah. like means a whole other thing too. Um, and it, it really does. And it's yeah, almost misconstrued with popular. Really yeah. yeah. Um, what yeah. what? Give us some some moments that you've noticed in your research are uh, there where awkwardness 
tends to emerge? Are there certain moments of a conversation? Are there certain situations where we're more likely to be battling an awkward situation? Yeah, you know, the um, when it comes to awkward moments, the formula for that is that there's dozens of social expectations. And when you have an awkward moment, what usually happens is that you just violate one or two of those. So you fall short in some way. Uh, if you think about your zipper being zipped up versus undone, yeah, <laughs> that's not the end of the world, really. <laughs> but that small little deviation causes a really powerful psychological reaction of discomfort or embarrassment in the person uh, who's being awkward, but also in people who are observing <laughs> the, the awkward moment. So, yeah, any situation where expectations are unclear is a moment that's ripe for awkwardness. And I think that happens more and more as we get more urbanized and we're around people who are strangers for a longer part of the day. Uh, and I think that also happens as we get more multicultural. And I, I think that's a worthwhile thing. I should make sure yeah. I make that clear. I think it's great that we're so much more open to different cultures, but it's hard work, right, to be multicultural in practice. And right. to actually learn other people's worldviews and learn their social expectations and then find some middle ground where you all can interact in a comfortable way. And, yeah. And, and know what to say, what not to say, how to say things that that values multicultural, also uh, multi um, eth- like multi gender issues. Like, I mean, sure. diverse gender issues. I mean, there's so many um, there's so many you know, dangerous positions for people where I guess that's it. If you don't know how to handle that moment, then awkwardness is it's that awkward cricket sound that we all hear. Like, oh, that yeah, was weird. Definitely. And you can feel that anticipation, like, oh, I'm not sure what to do <laughs> right in this situation. I yeah. don't want to offend. Or... And so I think it's a two-way street. I think on the one hand, we want to be sensitive that there's different expectations and to try to accommodate those or meet in the middle. But I think it's also the case that we want to have a sense of grace. And so if, if we think, hey, maybe somebody just didn't know, then I think we've gotten really judgy yeah. <laughs> on average as a society. And it's just not great, obviously, uh, to attack somebody versus just maybe gently saying, hey, you know, it's a little bit better if we would manage it this way. Yeah, we probably ought not say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. right. It, but yeah, a lot of times, yeah, and we're we're so easily offended too by yeah. people not knowing what to do or say. Exactly, exactly. So I think it's a two way street there, and we're just in this really interesting social crossroads. I think where we're struggling to figure out, you know, how we're going to move ahead with some of the social changes we've had over the past couple of decades. And it seems like the more judgmental we become, um, the less tolerant we become. But also that actually seems to, to make it even more awkward because now, mm-hmm. now it's not just the awkward of what that one person said that you don't say, but he said it. But it's also how the other person handled what he said. Yeah. And you don't blow up either and you don't turn this into a fight right now. That, that's so true. I, I tell some of my university students that um, you know, there's a difference between being uncomfortable and being offended and being offended. And there's different criteria for experiencing those two states. And I think sometimes what happens is we're training people to act in a way that's offended or feel offended when actually it's just a moment of discomfort, and that's okay. Mm. 
Such great advice. What advice do you give, Ty? Um, again, uh, as we're talking about it, Ty wrote a book, The Science of Why We're Socially Awkward and Why That's Awesome. But Ty, if I have a child that is struggling with this social awkwardness and they know it and they keep getting feedback from you know the bold kids in the class, what are some things that I should be doing as a parent to, I guess, uh, smooth some of this over to train the person up? Um, but also to to help them move on. Yeah, you know, I think um, one of the things that's important for parents, I think, is to stress this uh, value on being likable versus popular, because that's not intuitive to kids. They're getting exactly the opposite message. And we actually know what makes somebody likable. It comes down to three things across decades of research and multiple labs. It's be fair, be kind, and be loyal. And if kids are focused on those things and parents are focused on those things, uh, over time, things do get better and things start to work out for them. And as they get into adulthood, obviously, those are the things that matter the most. I think beyond those kind of broad theoretical things, there's things that they can do uh, when it comes to parenting them about certain social skills. So I could give you an example from my childhood. Yeah. (laughs) When, uh, I, uh, when we go to a Wendy's to go get hamburgers when I was a kid, my parents would park the car and they'd turn around and they'd say, Ty, it's time to mentally prepare. <laughs> and I knew exactly what this meant. This <laughs> was going to be a, a Socratic dialogue where they would, you know, basically ask me, what are the social expectations you'll encounter and how are you going to manage those? So they'd say things like, when you walk in, what's the first thing that you need to look for? And I would think really hard, like someone thinking about a math problem really hard. And, oh, I need to look and see if there's a line. Because if I didn't think about that, sometimes I'd be prone to jumping the line. And not because I was trying to cheat or, or get ahead, just because I didn't see it. or I was yeah. distracted and didn't think about it. And then once I was in line, they'd say, so, so what do you need to do now? I should look at the menu, figure out what I'm going to order. I should get my money ready. I should say thank you. Um, all of these little social graces, we had to review these ahead of time, and we had to do this usually dozens of times in social situations ahead of time and privately to get me accustomed to thinking in this way. That's interesting, and it really, but it, it, it might be a great it might be a great activity for every parent to do. <laughs> As they're, you know, approaching the we, – we kind of – we wait till our children are throwing food in the restaurant and making it awkward before we blow up. But there is something about awareness and preparation that, that could help, help them gain some confidence. You know, I really think that's, that's true. And, uh, you know, my parents would always also say, you do these things because it makes other people feel this way, Right. So they'd say these small little behaviors, they actually have purpose and intention because it's really showing respect um, or showing fairness to other people. Yeah. So you're really doing you're doing it to serve others. That's right. That's right. It's all part of that. Hey, let's let's be a good team member. Let's be a good group member. And these small social graces are actually really important for showing other people that you have good intention. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the things I had stumbled across uh, when I was doing the book was that millennials are watching a lot of these videos on YouTube that have to do with manners. So 
uh, whether it's going to a nice dinner or what to wear to uh, the, the theater, they're going on YouTube to figure these things out because they haven't been, they haven't been told how to do these things. But they want to show respect and they want to, you know, what they want to do the right thing. Interesting. <laughs> it's like the cat videos and manner videos are, are leading the YouTube search engine. That's amazing. It's so true. I, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, and so I, I was part of the generation that was kind of bitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when our parents were trying to impose these manners, but as the pendulum swung too far the other way, I think it's really interesting that you have now these young adults saying, "I, I actually wanted that. I, I actually wanted that structure because." And awkward people do really well studying manners as a strategy because that's a great opportunity for them to kind of scout out the situation before they get into it. Mm, and anticipate it. Powerful. Ty, give us exactly. – uh, what's your one thing? I always like to know the one thing what, – what could we do today, any of us really, that would um, make a big difference in our ability to manage our own awkwardness? Mm. You know – what I oftentimes tell people is the best thing that we can do socially that's not prescribed for us is to be focused on listening and to be focused on finding out what the other person really wants to talk about. I, I think for a lot of us, we feel awkward because we don't know what to say or we don't know how to present ourselves. But one of the most consistent findings in social psychology is that if you can get the other person to talk more than you do. So let's say like a 60-40 split. And you get them to talk about things that are of interest to them and that intrigue them. And you show that you're really listening to what they say. That could be something as small as just asking one or two follow-up questions. They'll leave that interaction thinking you're the coolest, <laughs> smartest person <laughs> they've met in a long time. And that's because, one, you, you brought something that was really unique and brought added value to their life. And the second is that they got to talk about something that was that was important to them. And I, I think, sadly, we don't always have the opportunity to do that in our day-to-day -day lives. That's so true. And we just have to – we have to want it. We have to go after it. Ty Tashiro, thank you so much for your great work and the book Awkward, The Science of Why We're Socially Awkward and Why That's Awesome. You can find out more from Ty on his website, tytashiro.com, where you can read his blog and uh, all of his uh, – you can see videos of him doing his interviews. Awesome stuff, folks. Uh, helping us all get through the awkward moments and actually become awesome because of them. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. McKenna Bouse is in the house, and uh, McKenna's here today to talk about confidence and how to grow confidence, be more confident, yep. especially, by the way, for women, too. I mean, especially, because it seems like it we, we haven't enabled that enough. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of different reasons women may particularly feel like they struggle with confidence, whether or not it's... Because of the way we're socialized, yeah. you know, for uh, girls, a lot of times when we're younger, if you speak up, you, you know, it's, it's quiet. It's, you know, <laughs> this idea of don't be too bossy, but also just because of the different hormones and the way that our brains process them differently than yeah. men's, we tend to be more focused on sort of 
building relationships to solve problems. And that leads us to sometimes get into this rut of being people pleasers and we become then trapped. Oh, and think about it. A really confident, strong female has a lot of derogatory names made about her, called her. Exactly. So it's where men are like praised for being so strong and confident. Exactly. And so there's a lot of different things that women can do to try and help overcome some of those inherent difficulties, which are really cool. And I think, you know, for the men listening, these are things that you can apply to if you struggle with confidence because it's not a woman exclusive It's a confidence thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so one of the big things, you know, that you hear this a lot, start out by thinking positively. It triggers the parts of your brain that have to do with reward and motivation, pleasure. And so it makes you feel good. And that's sort of contagious because when you're thinking positively, the people around you tend to be feeling more positive, which encourages them to engage with you more. And that in turn specifically helps make you feel more confident. Yeah. And it becomes more, it's like addictive in a way. Exactly. And so it's, One of those cool things where it's, yes, it's in your head, but it also has this real-world impact that comes back at you and Mm. helps continue to build you up. Yeah, that's cool. Which is really cool. Another thing is um, with a lot of times women, we're told when we think and we problem-solve, it's put in the context of a woman's intuition. I have this gut feeling. Yeah, it's the sense. It's the sense. And I think a lot of times that's because that's the language we've been told to do it when really we are being analytical and we're making decisions. I've evaluated. I've analyzed the data. This is what I'm going to do. But by phrasing it as this intuition, it makes it seem like this soft, unreliable (laughs) thing. Like a fairy brought it to you. Exactly. And so it robs you of your confidence of the analytical work that you have already done, that your brain is always doing. That's what I always thought. That We always call it women's intuition. Like like you're some nymph that just (laughs) intuits everything. But really, you you may just pay more attention. You may watch more. So you have more data. Yeah. And you're 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 going through the data, you're processing data. Exactly. And you're going to act on it. And so if you realize that, you know, that intuition is coming from someplace concrete, yeah. it's a cool. lot easier to trust it and to have confidence yeah. in yourself to go and, you know, state your opinion or to go and act and take risks. And so then another part of it is, you know, obviously just practice. The more that you put these things into place, the more it sort of like goes back to that addictive thing that right. you're saying, the better it feels, the more natural it feels, mm-hmm. and the easier it is to pretend or act confident to where over time you are you become confident. confident. And then other people follow you, which might lift your confidence more. And then Exactly. Yeah, then it's a then it's an upward spiral. Yeah. And so it's it's a really nice kind of cycle that you can do all these little steps that together can help you become more confident and help you be able to go out into the world better prepared. I like it. Confidence 101 with McKenna Baus. Thanks, McKenna. My pleasure. Little mind bender for you. Good work. Uh, We're going to continue the journey. Up next, we're going to be doing some empty news for you, including an interview, uh, a live interview with Shik Shumway. Um, Boy, you won't believe what, what people are doing to run for council nowadays. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. You know, it's getting harder and harder to run for office today. I and mean, how do you get anyone to even pay attention to you? So uh, 
People are going to more extremes. And that is one of the headlines in our empty news segment with uh, Jeff Simpson as our anchor. Jeff, what's going on? You know, on the surface, it seems strange that this man would do this. But I'll explain why it makes sense here, okay? Yeah. So a man dressed as a clown who's running for a Boston City Council seat has caused a stir on a college campus. Police tell the Boston Herald that Pat Payasso's presence near a polling location at Roxbury Community College... Payasso? Yes, made some people nervous on Tuesday, and they called the authorities. Now, why... Why is that significant if his name is payaso? Because in Espanol, that means clown. There you go. Un payaso. So he's, you know, trying to play on, it's a play on his name, right? Yeah. So police police spokesman officer Stephen McNulty says payaso later was stopped by an officer who realized he wasn't a threat. See, now that's (laughs) just, that's just profiling. Yeah. You can't. Cops have been profiling these clowns a lot lately. Yeah, it's it's getting out it's of hand. Stop. The Roxbury resident has donned a rainbow wig, a red nose, and clown makeup in recent campaign photos and videos on social media. His last name means, as you said, clown in Spanish. And uh, Piazza will be on the November ballot along with seven other candidates for an at-large city council but seat. It, isn't it counterproductive? Because it seems like at some point you want to be taken seriously. Hmm. Maybe not. Well, speaking of being taken seriously, let's let's head over to Shik Shumway, who's at the univ- or the the college right now. Okay, and uh, apparently he did an interview. Shik, are you there? Thanks, Jeff. I recently spoke with Pat Payasso, who's running for city council. Actually, spoke to Payasso is more fitting since the candidate didn't have much to say. Mr. Payasso, why are you running for city council? I see. Uh, What makes you more qualified than your opponents? Sir, there's no need for that kind of language. Please stop, sir. After drying off the water from Payaso's flower squirter, I continue to ask the city council candidate questions regarding his campaign as he proceeded to try and free himself from an invisible box. Reporting live from Roxbury Community College, I'm Shik Shumway. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang is gathered. Today we're going to be talking about how to exercise with a sense of purpose. We will be revisiting an interview how to exercise with purpose. Uh, a, I don't exercise enough. B, never done it with purpose. Oh, I've been doing it with purpose quite frequently lately. Well, yeah, you've been doing it for financial gain. Not really. Yeah. I mean, you're making when money I'm only making like on your $15, that's not a huge incentive. Well, but if I told you we could suck the fat out of your body and people could use it to uh, to um, to make their to put use it as an energy source for their car, <laughs> then hey, now you got a purpose. But here's more of an incentive: I can either make fifteen dollars or lose like thirty five dollars. 
Really? So you, it's interesting, but that's working for you. You mm-hmm. are losing weight. Mm-hmm. You're disintegrating as we speak. <laughs> you are like the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean with uh, algae that's slowly eating you away. I hope that doesn't mean I only have 20 years left. Uh, no, you don't. You got plenty of time left. So we'll be talking about uh, how to find a sense of purpose for your exercising. Also, we've got some unbelievable stories about cockroaches, fish falling from the sky. All on the empty news. These are all signs. Signs of the times. Plus tragic stuff going on in California with the fires in California. I think 17 or so dead already. And um, I'm sure more on the way. 100, to 100 and something people are missing. Don't Nobody knows where they are. Yep. And I mean just aside from from all the people – dying, which is tragic enough, you have this beautiful landscape that is just oh. burned to a crisp and just gone. I'm, I, I just talked to my brother yesterday, and I guess his wife kind of grew up in that area and just had all these memories of going to certain country clubs and for Christmas dinner and yeah. just spending a lot of time there. Gone. Gone. It's all gone. Plus grapes. I mean, if you drink wine, this is a big deal, too. I mean, this is... And it's it's seven or how many seven fires or so that just blowing with the Santa Ana winds just keep pushing it along. Unbelievable stuff. So uh, we've got so much to cover today. It really is. uh, Plus BYU Sports Nation, of course. We'll find out uh, what's going on with our good buddies as they prepare for their show at the top of the hour. Plus our hero story. All of that. uh, All of that is straight ahead. And again, you would look at it and you'd think to yourself, "Hey." It's just it's just Wednesday. Yeah, you're halfway through your week. It's that good. I'm already thinking this about Friday. Well, I know you I it might as well be Friday. You keep talking about how you're going to go do your brother's trip. That's right. We're going to go to the Dodgers game. Maybe they'll cancel. Maybe that maybe something will happen. They'll have to cancel it. No. It's not going to happen. No. It's not going to rain there, that's for sure. Are you guys going to go to the beach? No. How about Muscle Beach? No. I mean, a bunch of Simpson brothers, it sounds like a trip to Muscle Beach. <sighs> I mean, between the – how many boys are there? Well, there are the four of us will be going. So between the four of you boys, there's there's got to be a muscle. We're not going to go to a Muscle Beach when we're lacking in that department. Beaches? <laughs> no, no. No, no. The other one. Oh, muscles. Yes. Yeah, but between the four of you, there's – Got to be one muscle. But it ain't pretty. It ain't a pretty muscle. Anyway, we'll get to all of that fun straight ahead. But first, let's hit the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? When the first reports of multiple fires in California's Sonoma County poured in Saturday night, emergency dispatchers were at the same time sending out fire crews to investigate down PG&E power lines and exploding electrical transformers in the area. The East Bay Times reports. Oh, boy. Uh, Personnel were reportedly sent out at least 10 to 10 locations over a 90-minute period to look at sparking wires and other electrical system problems. San Francisco-based utility PG&E and others in the state have been in the past found responsible for major destructive wildfires over power line maintenance issues. The utility released a statement Tuesday night acknowledging the equipment issues over the weekend in Sonoma, reportedly caused by high hurricane-strength winds, but noted that any broader questions about maintenance issues causing the area's wildfires at this point are highly speculative. 
Okay. In April, PG&E was fined $8.3 million for a power line maintenance problem that caused the September 2015 Butte Fire in Amador County. State fire officials are still investigating the cause of the uh, wine country blazes, which are only 40% contained. As of late Tuesday night, the wildfires ravaged the area. They had killed se- at least 17 people and destroyed more than 2,000 homes in multiple counties. So it could be down power lines. Or, or maybe not yet. Might be too early to know. Yeah, so slow your roll. But there were but there were apparently eight different locations where they were sending ten. Ten. With either power lines or exploding transformers. Which Holy are always a bad cow. situation. Yeah, that's a big deal. So that was a, it was either that or arson because they said there was no lightning in the area, so spontaneous combustion, that doesn't really explain it either. Oh, so. this is crazy. We'll find out. The White House has sent emissaries to Capitol Hill to answer questions about staffers' use of personal email. Representatives of the White House Counsel's Office briefed staff from Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee on the issue last week, according to sources familiar with the meetings. The briefing came in response to a letter that committee chairman Ron Johnson, representative of Wisconsin, sent to the White House counsel on September 26, asking about White House staff compliance with federal record-keeping laws. At least half a dozen White House staffers have used their personal email accounts to discuss their government work, according to the New York Times. Uh, and the revelations generated scorching criticism for the White House, given that President Donald Trump spent so much time criticizing Hillary Clinton for her use of personal email when she was... In the State Department. Well, that was different. They were running for an election. Right. What's wrong with sending an email and, you know, filling people in that really have no business, uh, you know, about some government documents? Yay. What's wrong with that? It's fine. Not it's a fine. big deal. Just details. Uh, another news, Amazon is in the final stages of figuring out its strategy to get into the multi-billion dollar prescription drug market. Oh, boy. The company will decide before Thanksgiving whether to move into selling prescription drugs online, according to an email from Amazon viewed by CNBC and a source familiar with the situation. If it decides to make that move, it'll start expanding its senior team with drug supply chain experts. Amazon typically spends years researching opportunities before it telegraphs its intentions. The opportunity to sell drugs online is alluring, given its market size. Analysts have estimated the U.S. prescription drug market is $560 billion a year. What? Mm. Yeah, I'd yeah. like a piece of that. Amazon is well aware of the complexities, so the source is familiar with the company's thinking. Well, do you think prices would lower? I would bet if they came into the market. Yeah, give you another option, another, another place to go, or is the, are those prices set? Well, I don't know if they're set. Are they? Because I don't know. I just pay what they tell me. I don't really. I know, but it seems like Amazon and uh, Walmart have already. <laughs> Ruined, not ruined, but lowered a lot of prices for people. Right. Right? And so hmm. maybe. I think it's exciting. See what happens. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? It gets more expensive. Yeah. That won't happen. You don't think so? Not because of Amazon. No. I hope not. I mean, other things. Sure. A lack of a health care bill, for example. And uh, finally, you guys talked about this in a break. The Wall Street Journals is reporting. Well, the journal, journals. not the multiple journals. Yeah, but I was the like, one. how many journals are there now? Amazon is betting on acclaimed director and producer Steven Spielberg for its first major foray into creating original video content. The tech giant has struck a deal with Mr. Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment and Universal Television to make new episodes of a show called Amazing Stories, a science fiction and horror anthology series that ran in the 80s. It was incredible. I loved it. But why the Wall Street Journal? Well, they're the ones that had the information. So they're leaking the information that they've had this deal. Uh, 
Yeah. That's where the journal's involved. Okay. That and it's business. Yeah. And it's going to be behind a paywall, so unless you pay Apple for their music service, you're not going to see it anyway, so who cares? So the two high marks from Amazing Story – no, three that I remember really well. There was was one, an animated story about this family dog, and it was called Family Dog. But it was directed by Brad Bird, who went on to do The Incredibles and Ratatouille, and he did one of the Mission Impossible movies. Oh, yeah. Um, there was another one with Seth Green as a little kid where he and his brother are terrorizing all of their babysitters, and they get a babysitter who kind of turns the tables on them. Oh. And then the best one, my favorite one, I think, was one with Christopher Lloyd called Go to the Head of the Class, where these two students in his class do some kind of a magic or like some kind of a spell or something, and he his head comes off, and he spends the entire episode trying to chase after them, and it was creepy as a kid. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm creeped out right now as an adult because he may there he he's not a good teacher. He's a mean teacher. He makes them uh, catches somebody uh, chewing gum, <gasps> no and way. he makes the person who puts it under their desk to try to hide it eat it and eat all the gum that's under there, something like that. Ooh, wow. So this is <laughs> – Thanks for feigning interest. <laughs> no, I mean that seems gross and scary. Yeah. It was a good series. Well, it seems like Apple and – Creepy. Yeah, this is going to – this could be cool. Just another – another. it just seems like eventually I'll be spending more money. I think they're yes. probably doing it because anthologies are really big right now. Yeah. You have the American Horror Story franchise. You've got all these different uh, – Limited series like American Crime Story, and they have one on the Menendez brothers yeah. right now. So that's like a Law and Order. They put that yeah. on their yeah. Law and Order franchise. It's weird. Oh, they do. Yeah, anthologies yeah. are coming back, making a comeback. I didn't even know they had gone anywhere. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, let's do this. Let's get to the empty news because this might be some fodder for Spielberg. Because I think some of the stories that are coming out in the empty news section. They really might be like perfect if Spielberg could just work all of his wonderment. Yeah, like this one. I'm not sure what he would do with this, but it's kind of interesting nonetheless. So uh, what would gross you out if you saw this in your street? What would gross you out besides maybe like a fatberg? Besides a fatberg in my street, uh, snakes. Snakes? Or how about a school teacher chasing their head? (laughs) <laughs> that would gross me out. Or, uh, you know, making a kid eat the gum off the bottom mm. of a shoe in the street. You were paying attention. Mm-hmm. See? That makes me feel good. So uh, how about cockroaches? Yeah. Thousands and thousands of cockroaches. Boom. Yeah, not good. So this was in uh, Petersburg, Virginia. There's a neighborhood that's that made a startling discovery in the middle of their street. Thousands of cockroaches. What ensued was an epic battle. Neighbors said they realized people who did not witness may may not believe. But Sharon Mason said she is not exaggerating about seeing thousands of bugs filling her street. It looked like a cartoon, Mason said. It's not a cartoon. (laughs) There were thousands of roaches. Mason said she and another neighbor saw the bugs swarming from a manhole in the middle of the street late Friday afternoon, oh. the pair stomped and sprayed as the bugs fanned out on the pavement in the tidy and quiet neighborhood 
When city crews arrived Saturday to flush the line, Mason said the water slowed the uh, slowed down the bugs. As long as they were having uh, the water go, it slowed them up. Ugh. And as soon as the water stopped, they started coming back well, out again. Okay, but doesn't doesn't logic say they're all running from something? Yeah. They're, like so, maybe they know something we don't. Is there a big and cockroaches? You know, apparently could live through, you know, a nuclear blast. So maybe, ew, was that the nuclear blast? So maybe there's something <laughs> on the cockroaches. Yeah, there's something coming, and all the cockroaches are trying to get away. Yeah, I think there's something that they know that we don't. <gasps> locusts. We've heard about fires, locusts, storms, wars, rumors of wars. And how about this one? Kind of goes along with the cockroaches oh, no. and the wars more? and rumors of wars. Yeah. Civil defense officials in northeast Mexico say a light rain was accompanied by small fish that fell from the sky. What? Uh, Tamalipas civil defense says in a brief statement that rain Tuesday in the coastal city of Tampico included fish. Photos posted on the agency's Facebook page show four small fish in a bag and another on a sidewalk. According uh, to the U.S. Library of Congress, it's a phenomenon that has been reported since ancient times. It's a fishnado. Scientists believe that tornadoes over water, known as water spouts, could be responsible for sucking fish into the air where, there are, where they are blown around until being released to the ground. So I'm never going to think of I'm a little teapot the same anyway no, with no, the no. spout. Yeah, short and stout. Um, but, like, you've heard of, like, uh, hail the size of golf balls. Sure. So, like, the weathermen are like, wow, raindrops the size of 12-inch trout. Like, that's crazy. And then all of a sudden fish are flopping all over the ground. Goldfish keep falling on my head. I hope they're not goldfish. Yeah. Because if you get Goldie, like Goldie the goldfish the size of a football, yeah. that could be trouble. See, you've obviously been reading to your kids. Oh, yeah. What a good dad. Okay, so fish are falling from the sky in northern Mexico. By the way, fish fry, right? I mean, all you got to do is just pick up the fish off your lawn. In a way, it could be a gift from heaven. Mm. Then you just clean them. All the next thing you know, you're having a little fish fry. Yeah, but once you the know, storm passes, I, I prefer somebody else bone the the fish. I don't yeah. like picking bones out of my yeah. mouth the whole time. Got to debone, got to debone it. Okay, so let me make sure I've got this right. So life could be bad for you because you have thousands of cockroaches coming up from your manhole covers in your city. Right, that's bad. bad. Or life could be bad for you because you have fish falling from the sky. So you made the fish into a positive. How mm-hmm. do you make the cockroaches into a positive? Well, uh, it's just an early warning detector. It's telling you something bigger is coming. So pay attention. If I were you, I would run the same direction as the cockroaches. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned, but that's – But then there's a point at which you don't really know if they're chasing after you. Yeah. Yeah. They're not. Because I'm the one stomping them. Yeah, you but can't you, kill a cockroach. If you've got rotten food all over you, maybe they are. Are you saying my body is like rotten food? Your words. Totally true. And my – hey, uh, okay. Ugh. Okay, so let's say that that's all bad news. 
But there was good news uh, I saw for one man who thought he had lung cancer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. A British man? Is this what you're referring to? So he is uh, breathing easier after (laughs) doctors determined that a suspected lung tumor is not a tumor. It's not a tumor. Was actually a Playmobil traffic cone. Come again? Huh? Doctors at a respiratory clinic in Preston, England, made the discovery after the patient, a 47-year-old handyman, was referred to them because of a nagging cough that had lasted more than a year. Yeah. At what point do you just say, this is not going away? Well, remember, Hillary Clinton had a nagging cough. Maybe That's this true. is the answer. That's true. Maybe this is it. You know? You never know. <laughs> So uh, doctors did a scan on the patient's lung and noticed something on it. Because the man was a longtime smoker, they assumed it was a tumor. Oh, scary. The truth made the doctors gasp themselves. During the examination, they discovered the tumor was actually a tiny toy traffic cone the patient had received as part of a gift when he turned seven. And he's 47. So he aspirated... A little trafficked cone that was for his little Lego Playmobil set. He's been carrying this around for 40 years. He aspirated it. It went down his mouth, out down his into his lungs, and then that didn't make him have a coughing fit for years. And then recently he's had more of a coughing fit. You had a cough for like two weeks and yeah. everybody here thought you were on your way out. Oh, they did? I didn't hear that. Hmm. Is that why they – Placards I, were made. Well, like, I got that card. I got the yeah. card and everyone was thinking you know, that I was leaving. We were repainting your door. Yeah. You know, scraping off the lettering. Right. And you dropped your boxes by my door and you just said you were going to move in in a minute and it would fit. I never understood. What I'm still unpacking, moving well, back to my original desk. Mine was just, I think, a virus or something, cold or something. But not a cone. Not a cone. Hmm. But I have, by the way, aspirated an, an ice cream cone. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but that will dissolve. Will it? It's easy for you to say. You try. I know. I just said it pretty easily. You you try coughing up Rocky Road. It ain't easy. I, I wouldn't really ingest or I wouldn't really consume Rocky Road. Oh, well, aren't you an elitist? Anyway. I don't think peanuts should be an ice cream. Although I do like some sprinkled cut up nuts. So you do think it should be an ice cream? Yeah, I take it back. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, good lessons. Lessons. So Wait, it, but isn't that the one with marshmallows? I don't know. I don't eat Rocky Road. I don't think marshmallows should be an ice cream. Really? feel very strongly about that. Well, we'll see. I'm going to guarantee if they put marshmallows in ice cream and put it on your nachos at a Dodger game, you'd eat it. I would eat around it. Sure. (laughs) You'd eat it. Okay, so it could be worse, folks. You could have cockroaches on your street, fish falling from the sky, or a Playmobil traffic cone in your lung. Consider yourself lucky. Blessed, even. We'll continue the journey. Up next, we're going to talk about uh, how ec- how to exercise with a sense of purpose. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
As several recent studies have confirmed, as many as 95% of us don't meet the amount of exercise that the government recommends. Doctors will say that even some exercise is better than none, but why is it so hard to make time for it if we know it's so important? A few months ago, I spoke with Stephanie Hooker, who is a health and psych- a health psychologist, and uh, she's going to be. Uh, we wanted to replay her interview to help us figure out how we could be more motivated to work out. I began the interview asking her about the research um, and what she is learning when it comes to motivation and purpose. As you mentioned already, you know, people are not physically active, and we all know that we should be physically active. Right. And so, what I got interested in was what motivates people to be physically active. And this all started back when I was actually working with patients and a patient had mentioned um, who had, you know, been struggling to lose weight and being active. He was just really not motivated. And so we tried to explore like what's going on in your life. He mentioned that, you know, the thing that was most important to him was his granddaughter. And so we were able to use that as his motivation for losing weight. And he actually became very successful and became more active, lost some weight. So anecdotal evidence was really supporting this idea that people have to have a bigger reason to be physically active. And so this brought us to this sense of purpose, you know, feeling that you have a goal in life, there are things in life that really matter to you and really motivate you to do whatever it is that you do. But when people can connect that sense of purpose to the reasons why they want to be physically active, we think that that's actually helpful. Huh. So it, it could be the per- it, it almost doesn't matter the purpose. It could it just has to be connected to your your desire to exercise. Exactly. So you know everybody has a different sense of purpose. You know, for me, it's trying to find a way to make people healthier and live longer and more fulfilling lives. Mm-hmm. And so if you can connect that your sense of purpose, you know, whatever that may be, maybe it's family, it's your career to why you want to take care of yourself because physical activity ultimately is taking care of yourself it gives you more energy you are you feel less depressed and you know obviously there's a lot of benefits for your physical health down the line and so if you can make that connection to why today I need to do some physical activity to you know what's really important to you in life we think that's really the key is it um, does it work for example it seems like a lot of people have to lose maybe a little weight in order to get back to their uh, their um, what do they call them reunion with their high school. Mm-hmm. So they're all excited, and, and it seems like a lot of people can get their act together. <laughs> they are focused for six months. They lose the weight. They get into their same size that they had when they were in high school. Is that the same motivation simply because they had the purpose of looking good for the for the reunion? Is that the same? impact as having a bigger kind of overall life purpose? So I think you just hit the nail on the head. No, it's really not. You know, it's, we, all, we also see this in, um, with brides as they approach their weddings. Yeah. You know, they want to lose the weight. And research has shown that generally after those events have passed, people start going back to their old habits and they gain back the weight they had lost. See? So ultimately, you want to think about the the bigger overarching life purpose, the thing that's not going to go away, right? You know, that right. reunion is going to end, the wedding will be over, but something at the after that is going to have to keep you going. When you were doing the study, so how, how did you how did you go about analyzing this and figuring this out? Mm-hmm. So what we did is we took a hundred community members. We were actually in upstate New York at the time. 
and we had them complete some questionnaires, one of them being that sense of purpose. So people um, reported things like, I have a reason for living. Hmm. There's, my activities are important, that it, you know, that type of thing. And it's a, you know, a validated measure of purpose. And then what we had them do is we had them wear accelerometers for three days. So accelerometers is just a fancy uh, name for a device that measures movement. We have them in our smartphones now. We have them in our Fitbits, things like that. Um, But we use kind of a research-grade accelerometer. And then what we did was just look at the um, relationship between that sense of purpose and their average movement over those three days. So we picked, you know, a weekday, a weekend day, and a Friday, which is kind of in between for some people, and uh, showed that the relationship was positively correlated. Hmm. So after controlling for a lot of other measures that we have, so we looked at um, does optimism play a role or does somebody's Uh, level of depression play a role. And in the end, after controlling for several possible things that could explain this relationship, we found that no, purpose was really the strongest predictor of activity. Is, was this your dissertation? That was actually my master's thesis. Wow, great job. Yeah. It's it's funny because it's, we already have heard people that, you know, have a deeper connection uh, to God or a higher purpose seem to be able to be healthier, I guess. And mm-hmm. there's other signs of, of I guess, so- purpose already leading to health. This this just shows it as a direct correlation to um, your, your ability to actually get more movement out of yourself by having a purpose. Right. That's cool. Well, you know, it is and the interesting part of the data. When you dig down into the data, it is about movement more so than exercise. Right. So, you know, the, the people have a stronger sense of purpose. They're just out doing more things. And, you know, like you said before, you know, doing some exercise or some physical activity is important. And, you know, you don't want to be completely sedentary. So even if you're not willing to, you know, go out and run a marathon, you know, just going out and just being more active, gardening, you Hmm. know, taking walks around your neighborhood, those are things that are really important. Did, as you were looking at the 100 community members, did you see similar patterns in their overarching purpose? Were they family oriented? Were they, what, what was their kind of a a general consensus, five, six, seven things that people were citing as a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so relationships with other people is usually the, the top thing that comes out. So, you know, whether that be, you know, your spouse or partner or your, you know, children, other family members or friends, you know, relationships are usually the things that come out very important. Mm. You know, we're we're social beings. Yeah. We find our relationships to be very important. Um, other things, you know, were things about achieving or um, so for your career or your education to continue your achievement level. So those are generally the two strongest things that come out. Hmm. You know, other people have, you know, my purpose is to travel the world or something to yeah. more of the exploration. But, um, yeah, you see definitely the achievement and the relationship uh, sources of motivation and meaning to be the strongest ones. And um, I guess health, like – I guess you you want what we're looking for is health. What's the purpose for me to have health? Number one would be relationships, maybe career, mm-hmm. education. What when you talk about connection to your purpose? What how did you look at that? What how how do we how do we stay connected to the purpose? Seems like some mm-hmm. of us may have a great purpose, but we forget it regularly. Right. Well, that actually it brings me to my dissertation, which I just finished. So. 
um, we think of it as this idea of salience of meaning. So how much do you think about these things on a daily basis? And most of us really don't ultimately. You know, we have a sense of purpose, but, you know, there's things in our life or is it just the day-to-day that demand our attention? So we don't think about these things very often. So people who think about them more on a daily basis are more active on that particular day. So even within day variability or within a person variability is shown that, you know, thinking about these more on a daily basis will lead to more activity on that day. Mm, like it. Let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, uh, candidate, PhD candidate Stephanie Hooker. She is uh, um, working on a PhD in clinical health psychology at the University of Colorado, Denver, in Denver, Colorado, and uh, is discussing the power of fitness motivation, how purpose is tied to being motivated to exercise and actually move more in your life. We'll continue the discussion, including trying to figure out how we can keep our purpose in front of us just every day, day in, day out. Stick with us, folks. The Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. See, Rocky Balboa had a reason. Adrian! Adrian! We've got a great uh, guest with us today. Stephanie Hooker joins us. She is a Ph.D. candidate in clinical health psychology at the University of Colorado, Denver, and is talking to to us today about purpose, having a purpose, uh, kind of a big life picture and purpose, and then being able to connect to it. Um, makes it so you, you're able, you're more likely to move, move around. You're more likely to exercise, but maybe more importantly, just stay active. And uh, it's pretty. It's a pretty f- fun finding, isn't it, Stephanie? I mean, it's 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 the beginning of some pretty great psychology. Yeah, I, it's a definitely a new area of research for psych, and I think we could definitely expand and figure out how to help people stay more active. What are the ways then that you would suggest to stay connected to that bigger life overarching purpose? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first you have to figure out what that purpose is. And for some people, that's really easy. And for others, that may be a little bit harder. And so generally we recommend some good reflection on, you know, what do you value in life? What are the things that get you up in the morning and keep you going? And once you have that good sense of what that purpose is, then, you know, we recommend scheduling things throughout your day that are connected to that sense of purpose. So, again, if, you know, if my family is the most important thing to me, then, you know, I want to make sure that I'm spending time with my kids every day or I'm doing things that are related to that sense of purpose. Hmm. And all. You can get off. You can get off chart or an off target, right? I could think my family is the most important thing to me, but I spend all day working and all night coaching a team, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm never there and I'm never mm-hmm. fulfilling what I really want. Oh, exactly. And when people are have this mismatch or disconnect with what sense of purpose, they feel off. You know, they may feel a little depressed or really just. Feel like their life's not going the way they want it to, and so you most people can sense when things are not going right. Yeah, no, right. In fact, if you just look at the data that we stated earlier, that maybe as high as ninety-five percent of the people aren't getting the amount of prescribed exercise they're supposed to, 
and that seems high, but let's just say 90%, 80% aren't, in a way, that might mean a lot of them are off purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that could definitely be one reason. You know, if you're spending a lot of time at work and it's not really fulfilling to you and, you know, you can definitely feel like your purpose is not really being achieved or you're not going towards what you really want to do in life. What about, um, what are some other ways, I guess, that we can keep it top of mind, keep it in front of us? Mm -hmm. So I really like the idea of doing some kind of daily reflection. So this, you know, depending on when this works for you. So maybe in, in the morning when you're having, you know, your morning beverage or your breakfast or in the evening when you're, um, before you go to bed to really reflect on your day. Did I do things today that were meaningful to me? Did I make choices that were in line with my sense of purpose? And that daily reflection will ultimately help bring that sense of purpose to the forefront of your mind. What am I doing? Am I doing things that are in line with what I want to do in life? And I guess, too, am am I making time for health and exercise and movement so that I can keep doing what's important? Exactly. So noticing, am I taking care of myself the way I should take care of myself so that I can fully engage with that sense of purpose? Yeah. It's a funny idea that you, I mean, it's, I, where was it? Somebody was talking about heart health and I was listening and I thought, but one thing they mentioned was um, brushing your teeth and Mm -hmm. oral hygiene. And I thought, what does that have to do with heart health? But it's an it's an interesting thing because it's if you're struggling getting your teeth brushed, you're probably <laughs> struggling with other problems of health. Right. It's just a, a sign. Regulation thing. Yeah. Being able to you know make sure that you're taking care of yourself on those little habits every day. Yeah. You're falling apart. What yeah. uh, what as a psychologist? What where do you see this going in the future? I mean, it used to be we exercised. It wasn't as formal. Now we have all this. Go to the gym, you know, do your do your planks, all of these things mm-hmm. that we all know about. But it seems like 30, 40 years ago, we weren't talking about planks, but we seemed healthier. Yeah, well, we're more sedentary now. Our technology and the way we transport around the, the country and even just to work has made us so sedentary that we're not moving as much as we used to do. Yeah. If you think about it, you know, 100 years ago, we didn't really have cars you know, most people walked to places and they had active jobs. Now we sit on behind computers all day. Mm. So our lives have really changed. It's killing us. Yeah, killing us. Ultimately, I think, you know, if you're the kind of person that likes to go to the gym and you really find that enjoyable, then do that. But if you're not that person, that is not going to be a sustainable method of exercise for you. You know, I try to recommend exercise that fits in with people's daily lives. So if you, if again, if family is important to you, go for a walk with your family after dinner. Yeah. Or find things that are enjoyable to you so that that helps you maintain that exercise over time. It's so true. And just in our, we did it, we went and played pickleball in our backyard and I thought, why don't we do this more? <laughs> I love my family. We love tennis and pickleball, and it's fun, and we just need to do this more, especially because it was so connected to everyone we love and, and what we love doing. So I guess part of it is just making it intel- making it an intelligent, you know, conscientious choice to do it now. Right. And, you know, when you're playing pickleball with your family, that doesn't feel like exercise, no. right? 
a lot of the times we get so down on ourselves if we don't feel like we're doing some kind of really hard exercise. But that type of activity is still going to help benefit your health. Yeah. Keep up the great work and thank you so much for the insight. Yeah, thank you. You bet. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Yes, a little uh, mood music for you as we shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem, hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. How you doing? Solid. Solid as a rock. I'm trying to figure out where I would hear that music. Uh, Like an elevator, you know, in an old department store. Yeah. Maybe when you're going up to housewares. Yeah. What? You don't don't remember? Perhaps. Hey, I would like you to rank the following three things okay. on the depression scale for me. Okay, great. Okay? Yeah. Number one. Yeah. The Cleveland Browns quarterback situation. Ooh. Okay. Or? Number two. Yeah. Team USA soccer not making it to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. For the first time since 1986. Now, is this my depression or mass depression? Just general depression. Okay, so you, okay. You tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And number three, BYU football being one in five and playing at Mississippi State on Saturday. Oh, that would have to be number one for me. Okay. So yeah. BYU football, the BYU top, football of the scale. top of the scale. Okay. Number two would be soccer. Okay. I mean, because that's like a big deal, right? And number three, the Browns, because the Browns are the Browns. The Browns. Hey, by the way, we did some research. Do you know why the Browns are called the Browns? Uh, because because uh, of Paul Brown. How did you know that? Because sports. Yeah, you must watch a lot of sports. Dude, Can Paul you imagine? Brown. Paul Brown was I mean, the Cleveland Lintons. Well, I was asking why exactly. I was asking what's a brown anyway in my ignorance, and then I found out that a brown is a Paul Brown. Paul Brown. Yeah. That's pretty cool to have a whole team. The Cincinnati team. Bengals Stadium is named Paul Brown Stadium. Yes, the, it is. The Bengals? Yeah. What? Weird. His influence is everywhere. He's everywhere. Yes. And I didn't even know him. Yep. I don't, the I've entire never... state of Wyoming looks that color as well. Hey. Just kidding. There's some beautiful parts. <laughs> Speaking of looks, by the way, um, Spencer, your your pants, your trousers today yes. are bringing up a lot of comments from some of my coworkers. Let's go. They're, Especially the ladies. They're saying that does Spencer not know you can't wear white after Labor Day? Yeah, I heard that in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> oh. A year after BYU started, one in five. <laughs> I think, let me just tell you. There's very few people walking around BYU campus uh, wearing white trousers Uh that are under the age of 70. (laughs) (laughs) But you pull it off like, I mean, you look incredible. I like my white golf pants, okay? uh, Honestly, you look incredible. Uh, You're very kind to say I mean, a lot of guys can't pull that off. I just don't care. I know, honestly, but it really, you really look good, and you're blue and white too today, too. So I am royal blue on top and white golf pants on bottom. Um, here's another crazy question for you. Okay. Uh, so apparently, the United States national team not going to be able to play um, the, in the World Cup. It hurts. But a lot of this comes down to some technology on a goal line. Technology that many are questioning should should no, we doesn't. should we have that should we have technology playing that big of a role? What happened to the old days when you just had the you know the official? You don't lose to Trinidad and Tobago because of technology. Good point. You lose because you just stink. You just stink. 
need to be better. Yeah. As Taylor Twelman said on ESPN last night, what are we doing? <laughs> it's his, so disappointing. His rant was amazing. Is that how oh, he said it? Amazing. What are we doing? It's yeah. so disappointing. It's sad. I was live tweeting from my elders quorum presidency meeting last night about how the president asked me, hey, Eric, you look pretty tired. You okay? I said, no, I'm fine. We just got eliminated from being in the World Cup. I know. So I'm in a bad mood. To Trinidad to, and I Tobago. Love this nation. Oh, I didn't it's know. It's probably the sporting event I look forward to the most. Oh, it's so exciting. It's it really is. Fun. And it's nice to have a rooting interest for, you know, the Eagles of the USA. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know. Is Canada still involved? No, I generally, no, root, for Eng- I generally root for England because they haven't won the World Cup since 1966. Yeah. So now I'm all in on the Brits. Or a lot always of, disappoint. So yeah. a lot of times Join it depends where you went on your mission. See, so, so do you not, Jerem? Do you not choose Brazil? I I root for Brazil. I lived there for two years. I'm not Brazilian, but I liked it. Yeah, that's true. I do root for uh, South Korea. Yeah. yeah. Do they play much? Are they I good? Sure. South Korea. South Korea is pretty good. South Korea has been in every World Cup since 1974. They're that doesn't really mean good though. I know, but they're better than... The U.S. has been in the World Cup. doesn't mean they're good. No, yeah. the U.S. Has, hasn't missed the World Cup since 86. South Korea yeah. has a longer streak of going to every World Cup than wow. the United States. That is, that's an interesting yeah. stat it right there. It doesn't mean you're good. And South Korea has gone farther in the World Cup than the United States has ever advanced. Come on. Yeah. Come on! Well, they should. They care more about it. <sighs> we should be better. Now so. I know why we you're wearing your white tough. pants. Oh. It was a white flag. Like, we give up. Yeah, you just given up. Given up. Hey, what's on your show today, gentlemen? Who cares at this point? I know. I know. United States you... isn't playing in the World Cup. I know. I'm sincerely bummed. I hope, I hope you're going to oh. talk about that. The glass is half full today, Matt. Is it? We forced ourselves to do it. You had to find a way, yeah. Yeah, specifically with BYU football. We have a revised best-case scenario discussion. Ah, good. The 2017 BYU football season on tap. <laughs> we say the word best. It doesn't mean it's good or positive. It's just better than it's just better going than to death. What what, what what is what could be the best case scenario? Okay, yeah. that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Does it include a win this Saturday? We will tell you. Also, we're going to talk with uh, the Red Rocket himself, Joe Critchlow, uh, the BYU backup quarterback who's three and a half months off his mission. Uh, our conversation with him. Could he give a first lesson as an LDS missionary right now? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Elder Critchlow joins us. <laughs> oh my heavens. That's Plus great. Greg Rebell, the voice of the Cougars. Holy cow, you guys. Again. Yep. Bringing it. So talented. And that Cougar sound. And we're still in a bad mood about the U.S. Okay, but just know. <laughs> there's always tomorrow. Actually, there's four years. That's what stinks about it. Like, they can't play in a World Cup until 2020. I know. It's four more five years. years. Uh. We wasted Christian Pulisic. Pul- yes. Pulisic. I've heard it both ways. I don't know what's going yeah. You've, you've wasted his, what, his like ten? Like prime years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he'll have one World Cup in his prime, and then he'll have oh, and Done. It's over. When you're- then he'll just be officiating, you know? Then it's <laughs> over. Okay, guys, good to talk to you. Have a great show. Sorry to bring you down by asking about U.S. soccer. And I guess talking about the white pants. Really. They're bummed. And this Jeff, Jeff... When I talk to him about the soccer thing, he's like, so are the Dodgers playing? Yeah, if the Dodgers lost in the soccer match, I would be beside myself. You've got to understand, though, Jeff, there's other sports than baseball. 
and there's I other teams. I just don't have time for them because really? baseball takes up all of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm too busy watching everything that's going on with the Dodgers. Anywho, let's get to the headlines, right? Uh, as you know, we like to always share a headline of, uh, of heroes in action. Well, today's heroes are in Winter, South Dakota. High school football is everything, right? So uh, when the players showed up to escort elderly residents to Winter High School's homecoming parade, it meant the world to those senior citizens. They were flabbergasted when all those boys came in in the school student council advisor. Mona LeCompte told ABC News about the outing. Uh, a lot of them wear, a lot of the seniors wear warriors clothing, Winter Warriors is the name of the team. On And on Fridays, uh, just because, you know, it's football day and it's the game day, but a lot of the seniors can never get out of the their center to go watch the game because they don't have transportation, but they love the kids and the boys. In this town, those boys are kind of gods for them, for them to come over to the residence. Um, they were just ecstatic. And because of mobility issues and since the route didn't pass, of the parade didn't pass directly by the long-term care center, the residents didn't think they'd be able to attend the homecoming parade. But the hospital's activity director called uh, the school advisor, and guess what happened? They made it happen. And the all of the athletes went over and pushed the wheelchair of these uh, senior citizens and actually walked them through the parade together. It was a monumental event that brought the entire town together. So for the football team of Winter, uh, uh, Dakota, North Dakota, it's uh, we honor you. Way to go. Winner, South Dakota, sorry. We honor you and uh, say thanks for being heroes. And that, my friends, is the show. And we'll be back again tomorrow, 9 to noon. But uh, don't, don't go away because up next is BYU Sports Nation.